It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Of deflation, and Obama says that's a problem. Well, I guarantee you that the people in the Recorded? G, the Recorded. other Six members of the G7 nations, they they say, well, that's two. That's your problem. That's not our problem. They don't care. So, part of the first first order of business is who has a problem with a strong dollar, and that is the United States has a problem with a strong dollar. But the rest of these countries are not going to be particularly inclined to be sympathetic or do anything to help us. There's point one. Um, the, but the official from the White House. Although Obama was accused of saying that the strong dollar was a problem, the official at the White House, he absolutely denies that Obama made such a statement. Uh, according to that official, President Obama made a point that he'd made previously for a number of times, that global demand is too weak and the G7 nations need to use all policy instruments, including fiscal policy as well as structural reforms and monetary policy to promote growth. Well, that's just standard old you know, rah, 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 hooray for our side, or whatever, it's cheerleading, it doesn't amount to anything. But let's accept the idea that Obama did not say that a strong dollar was a problem. Okay, he didn't say it. He said he denies that. And I said no such thing. Okay, all right, let's accept that. Did President Obama say that the strong dollar was not a problem? You see what I'm saying here? On the one hand, he says, I didn't say it was a problem, that's not me. Okay, Obama doesn't say a strong dollar is a problem. Did he ever say that a strong dollar is not a problem? Let's, uh, let's let Mr. Obama tell us all one time, face-to-face on TV, all right, my fellow Americans or something like that, whether a strong dollar is or is not a problem. Let's put it on television and let's find out, is it or is it not? But let's assume, just for fun, that the White House official is lying or mistaken. Let's assume that President Obama has declared that the strong dollar is a problem. He really said it, all right? And it is. You know, it's, it's, it's bad for debt that's denominated for debtors who have loans that are denominated in dollars. It's bad for exports, um, U.S. exports. It's a problem, at least for, from some perspectives. If, if President Obama really said the strong dollar is a problem, then we can reasonably assume that Obama is seriously looking for ways to inflate the dollar and weaken and devalue it. Now, whether he can succeed in doing that remains to be seen. They've been trying to cause inflation in this country ever since the, the start of the onset of the Great Recession, and they haven't had much success. Not the sort that they were hoping for, that's for sure. They've had some, but not much. Still, the implication is that President Obama will take strong measures, if, if such strong measures still exist, to weaken the value and inflate the dollar within, say, the next six months. I mean, if he thinks it's a problem, he's going to have to deal with it. If he said it's a problem, and he almost certainly did, 
Might have been a slip of the tongue, but who knows? But but just the same. You know, it's obvious. You look at it, yeah, it's a problem. And if they are going to do, now we watch and see, what can they do to end deflation or slow deflation and make the dollar less valuable? And it's interesting to me that just today it would have dropped by over a point on the U.S. dollar index. I mean, is that all it takes? Obama just says a strong dollar is a problem, and sure enough, the dollar gets weaker. We go into one full point on the U.S. dollar index of downward, meaning inflation. If he says it again tomorrow, do we get another point down, Melody? Maybe. It was originally reported by a French reporter. And, you know, you'd have to know that there's a little more text uh, you know, to, you know, his statement about the dollar. And, uh, yeah, he was probably over there whining to his cohorts, you know, hey, you guys had weak currencies now for a while. It's, it's our turn. Yeah, no. You know, let, let's switch it back to let, let let us have the low currency for a while, you know. And it's ridiculous on it top is. of everything else because here they are trying to prove each of them is hoping that their currency will be shown to be worth less than the others. <laughs> I know it. I mean, this is this is just so bizarre. You know, it's like saying, huh, it's Nobody. like little kids standing around saying, my dad can't beat up your dad. Oh, no, my dad can't beat up your dad. And the other kid, my dad can't beat up any of your dads. The other kid, no, my dad can't beat up anybody. That's not the way the world works. It's not the way little boys are made. That's not the way adults act. And here they are trying to, it's part, in my opinion, this is just another one of those illustrations of the kind of insanity that mm-hmm. flows from having a fiat currency in the first place. We're dealing with this phony baloney money system. And once you establish it, it leaves you in directions that you would not want to go. But the logic of the fiat currency, once you accept it, it pushes you into positions where you wind up saying, well, we've got to do something <laughs> completely stupid now, but we'll sell it to the public and they'll believe it. Well, we'll see. And but I don't did. think it's, you know, how long, how much longer. You know, I, I have thought this for years. It's like listening to a siren, you know, that's just going, and the and the sound of the siren is increasing and the pitch is rising and you keep thinking it can't shriek much louder than it already is but i've thought that for a couple of years and uh, it continues to just wind up and the pitch rises and the volume increases and i don't know can't tell you how soon it's going to happen but the siren, you know, most of you who are listening to the program, you get that. You get a sense that that siren is blowing, and, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to protect yourself as best you can. Because all of us are in jeopardy on this. You know, you can hear all sorts of conspiracy theories and doom and gloom reports and the rest of that sort of thing. The worst case scenario, I've said it a, you know, a couple dozen times in this, the worst case is always the least likely. All right? We are least, least likely that the whole country is going to collapse into utter chaos. But it's not unreasonable to think that we're going to do something, even if we don't collapse into utter chaos. 
It's not unreasonable to suppose that we're going to see something that's more painful and oppressive than the Great Depression. Well, you know, Al, I, I talked to some friends and, um, you know, senior citizens, those that are living on um, their retirements and so forth, they have this money, it's in the markets. It's the only place they're getting any return on these dividends that are being paid by these corporations. I mean, certainly, you know, triple than what uh, any bank is paying and so forth. They understand it's a risk. They understand that there's a uh, 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 a problem with the stock market, and they don't think it's going to, they're afraid of it falling. They think there's going to be a huge correction, but they don't know what else to do. They're scared to pull it out. They're scared to leave it there. Uh, they feel they have no options. And uh, so I, I think a lot of folks um, that have any money are in this position. And it's difficult to, to, to go against the grain, to go against the herd, and, and protect that paper with gold because they're told by their financial planners that seemingly know how these markets work and everything that uh, they don't have uh, much to be concerned about. But yet they hear and they follow everything else tells them something different. So, you know, they're in a position, they need to make some very difficult decisions. And you're right, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, there's a lot of misinformation, misguided information, uh, promises, and yeah, all of those, a lot of that is to gear folks into buying whatever, you know, uh, product is is being uh, promoted at that point in time. And folks just need to take a realistic approach to things and the safe way. And what you mentioned earlier in the beginning, Al, eliminate or reduce, maybe you can't eliminate, but you need to reduce your risk. Yeah, and the one thing about it is this, you can't wait until everything blows up and then say, now I'm going to go reduce my risk. Too late. If you're going to try to reduce your risk, and that's the real challenge, anyone who's listening to this program understands that there is at least an increasing probability that we're going to see a serious problem in the near future. Could happen this year, next year. I don't know when it's going to happen. Nobody knows. But it certainly doesn't seem like it's going to be five years from now. Not likely to be three years from now. Could be three months from now. Nobody really knows. Um, The thing about it is you can't wait until it happens to act. You've got to preempt. And that's it's the folks who understand or at least believe. You look around, you think, okay, we're coming on a difficult time. What is incumbent on you? And the answer is you have to act to try to protect yourself if you believe we're coming on difficult times. All right? You have to act now. You have to act before we really get into those difficult times. And that's what these people you're describing, Melody, are failing to do. It's not for lack of knowledge. Nope. All right? They understand what's likely to happen here. But I mean, as well as any of us can, it's kind of obscure and... You know, it's we we don't have clear understanding. We've not given you prophecy on this, but we can see probable trouble headed our way. But it's for lack of courage to make a choice, make a decision, act. And if they fail to do that, then they're going to get caught with the herd and they're going to pay a serious price. Let's take a break for some commercial announcements. Melody and I will be back on financial survival in just a moment. Please stay tuned.
Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 that's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Does the cost and risk of conventional healthcare concern you? Wouldn't you prefer inexpensive solutions to health problems rather than disease management? If so, tune into Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson every Tuesday and Thursday evening, 7 p.m. on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, where your healthcare options just became endless. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. Program's brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. This isn't a new story, Al. It's an old story, but I'm going to, we're going to talk about it anyway, briefly, as it might be. But uh, you have uh, state budgets uh, that are coming due here uh, uh, pretty soon. Uh, 45 states begin the ne- next fiscal year on July 1st, and they must have their operating plans in place by then. And of course, uh, um, there's a lot of disagreements over closing deficits or expanding the Medicaid. They're forcing several legislatures legislatures to extend their sessions. Woe is me. But uh, there's a lot of odds over budget problems as the, that these states are having, uh, that they're dealing with this red ink uh, since the great the Great Recession, so to speak. And um, um, we have the 45 
states, and there was a recent survey by the Associated Press Statehouse reporters found at least 22 states were projecting budget shortfalls for the coming fiscal year, stagnant or declining tax revenue combined with rising pension and health care costs. Mm-hmm. of course, are among the chief reasons for this continuing budget turmoil. Uh, we talked last year or last week about Alaska uh, looking to lay off uh, quite a few people. Illinois 10,000. 10, and the total population is only 750,000 mm-hmm. for the state. So that's interesting. They probably only got four or 500,000 people working in that state, and the government's going to lay off 10,000 out of maybe 400,000. So you're talking about you know, one out of 40? Yeah. You have Illinois is facing the largest budget gap of any state. You have um, Washington. Uh, their, their, their projected shortfall of more than $2 billion. Um, so you've you got a lot of these states that have a lot of uh, difficulties. They say most of them will probably pass their, their budgets, but you have a... Um, I don't know what state he's from, but he he talks about these budgets are are fake budgets, uh, phony budgets, unbalanced budgets that will be released. And uh, again, it's just more phony. And yet, but this has been going on for for years. years. If you listen to Warren Burian and his research into the comprehensive annual financial reports, which he broke, he broke that story, that information back in the early 1990s. It's 20 years he's been talking about this. And what it is, is for those who don't know, the government comes out, the state, uh, local, federal, they come out and they say, oh, here's the budget. And we've got X number of dollars coming in, and we've got to spend this many, and gee, we're going to be short, and therefore we've got to raise taxes. Well, the budget is all we ever hear about, but the budget is a projection. The budget is we anticipate we'll probably have this much money coming in, and we anticipate that we'll probably have this much expenses and based on the projection, they come. They draw conclusions on whether they have to raise or lower taxes. Well, they've been routinely raising taxes, and this has been going on since, I don't know, I'll go back 30, 40 years, maybe longer than that. I'm not sure when the comprehensive annual financial report started, but the, the CAFRs, comprehensive annual financial reports, are mandated by the federal government for all the states, cities, municipalities, water districts, the rest of this sort of thing. These are the reports that are issued after the year is over. All right, the comp, the budget is the budget for 2016 is what they're working on right now. That's before 2016. It's just a projection. The comprehensive annual report will come out in 2017 after the year 2016 is over and they will tell you how much money they really spent. And what Warren uh, Walter Burian was able to was able to put together is how much fraud is incorporated in the budgets. There is money moving around in masses, that piles, uh, boxcars full of it, that the public doesn't understand or appreciate because all they do is pay attention to the budget. Budget's not the deal. The budget is fictional. It's prophecy. It's these people sitting around and say, oh, this is, I'm going to look into my crystal ball, and this is what's going to happen next year. They don't know what's going to happen next year. If you want to find out what's happening in the government, get hold of the Comprehensive Annual Financial Report. My only point in belaboring this point 
It was just trying to make people understand that the manipulation of the numbers is not a new thing. This has been going on for for several generations. I don't know when it... I mean, I would never be surprised if someone said that somebody in government was manipulating the numbers and, and, and you know deceiving the public. I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing it five years ago and ten years ago and 150 years ago. I wouldn't be surprised. But they have brought it to a real art form today. And it is not, not just something that's unusual or something that's concealed. We all know. <laughs> they're cooking the books, and nobody seems to mind. Yeah, they're cooking the books, so what? Let's invest in them anyway. You know? The whole thing is a kind of madness. And <sighs> you've got to get yourself, I mean, you look at this, ladies and gentlemen, and you've got to make decisions whether you want to run with the herd or you want to act on your own and do what you think is right, as best you're able to understand, to protect yourself. The whole thing is becoming not just unstable, but crazy. I mean, the lies, the fabricated numbers. How long can it continue? How long is it possible? We've got an article here. Let me see if I can find it right now on uh, tax rates. Uh, yeah, here's one. This is from the Associated Press. Experts worry that phony numbers are misleading investors. <laughs> this just cracks me up. We've been talking about this for five years. Longer. And here's I have, well, me at least. And here's the ex, the AP is reporting that experts worry of that phony numbers are misleading investors. Uh, the record profits that companies are reporting may not be all they're cracked up to be. As the stock market climbs ever higher, professional investors are warning that companies are presenting misleading versions of the results that of their results that ignore a wide variety of normal costs of running a business and make it seem like they're doing better than they really are. What's worse, the financial analysts who are supposed to fight corporate spin are often playing along. Instead of challenging the companies, they're largely passing along the rosy numbers in reports uh, recommending stocks to investors. In an analysis of 500 major companies sponsored by the, uh, by the Associated Press, based on data provided by, uh, they give a list, you don't need to know that right now, they found that the gap between the adjusted profits that analysts cite and bottom line earnings figures that companies are legally obliged to report, or net income, has widened dramatically over the past five years. What they're saying is that a substantial number, a majority, virtually all of the 500 major companies that, we, that, they, that they analyzed, they looked at their books, they are creating evidence they're making reports that say they're making much more profit than is, than is, in fact, true. Now, when you get this report from the Associated Press that deals with 500 major companies, they are not identified in this article, but it says 500 major companies, all right? And, in fact, the report indicates that something like 97% are cooking the books. Now... What they're doing is legal, but they are 
presenting, they're saying, oh, we're making 50 million profit. When in fact, maybe they're only making 40 million profit. Huh? They're much less than what they report. And when you see this apply to 500 major firms, you've got to, you've got to at least suspect that the entire stock markets, they're, they're so overwhelmed, they're running on lies. Everybody's fibbing. Everybody's, you know, I mean, it, uh, it's an incredible game of liars poker. It's just bizarre. Where do we go? There, here's the key findings. It says 72% of the 500 companies reviewed by the Associated Press had adjusted profits. That's where they make things up and they don't re report all of their costs. They had adjusted profits that were higher than the net income in the first quarter of this year. Net income is a real deal. That's about the same as comparable period five years earlier, but the gap between the adjusted and net income figures has widened considerably. Adjusted earnings were typically 16% higher than net income in the most recent period versus 9% five years ago. All right. What they're saying is 72% of the 500 companies they analyzed are reporting their profits on, or on average, 16% higher <laughs> than is, in fact, the truth. And then they go on, they say, for a smaller group of companies reviewed, 21% of the total. Adjusted profits soared 50% or more above net income. Right? They're not just lying to the tune of 16%. They're lying to the tune of 50% or even more. That's 21% of them. Right? And quarter after quarter, uh, what, what else have they got down here? Fifteen companies. Here's the last ones they report. Three percent of the 500. Fifteen companies <laughs> with adjusted profits. They say, oh, yeah, we're making, we're making money. They actually had bottom line losses over the five years. Investors, and they go on and they say, investors have poured money into their stocks just the same. And this is where this becomes comical, hilarious, tragic. People are investing in corporations because they read a report that they're making profits, and in fact, they're not. They're investing in other corporations where they say they're making profits, but they're not making anywhere near as much as they, they're not making what they claim. If I'm, and I'm only guessing on this, but according to reports, again, 72%, uh, analyzed uh, the corporations analyzed artificially increased their profits by 16% or more. Another 21% adjusted profits by 50% or more. 3% of the corporations adjusted profits when there actually were losses. And that leaves 4% of the corporations. 4% of 500 corporations who were apparently <laughs> making an accurate report of their profits. You get that 4%. If it were discovered that 96% of the companies selling stocks on Wall Street had inflated their reported profits by, say, an average of 25%, it's 20, 25% would be my guess. What would happen to the Dow Jones average if that report gets out and people pay attention to it? The Dow's at 18,000. 
What's going to happen if it finds out that, that, that 96, 97% of the corporations are making 20% less profit than they report? What's going to be, what's going to happen to the price to earnings ratio? What's going to happen to the price of the stocks? And this is a report from the Dow Jones. Like I say, what if it were discovered that 96% of the company selling stocks, they, they'd inflated their, their profits by 20, 25%? What happened to the Dow Jones? Would it continue at 18,000 or might it collapse to 15,000, even 10,000? And that's where we are right now. I mean, this is an extraordinary article. Who did I say? Who did this? Who produced this article? Mark? No. That's, that's the one over the Hang on just a second. Yeah, the Associated Press. Just came out today. The headline is, Experts Worry That Phony Numbers Are Misleading Investors. Uh-huh. You could Google it, folks. You could find the article on your own. I mean, this is devastating information. This is a kind of massive institutionalized fraud. And the article explains, well, it's technically legal. The government allows them to fudge on their numbers one way or another and not include certain, certain items that as costs, right, in order to kind of pad their apparent profits. It's legal, but it's still fraudulent, if that makes any sense. And how is it going to work out? I mean, what's going to happen to the market when people find out that the profits of the corporations are probably, on average, something like 20 cent, 20% lower than what they report? It's got to cause some sort of a drop in the market. I don't know where it's going to go. It might fall 500 points. It might fall 5,000. I don't know what's going to happen. But you look at this report, and it's just astonishing to me, Lily. Cooking if, the books. You know, we well, should have how, how to cook a turkey, how to cook a corporation's books. I'm not sure. I mean, it's not to me, it's not astonishing because, I mean, we know these corporations for a long time have been rigging their numbers. I mean, they'll say anything so they can, quote, unquote, beat the street. And yeah. in this digital world that we live in today, do profits even matter? I mean, we, we I mean, people have sort of made a disconnect from profits to, to loss anymore because, you know, the world functions great on losses i mean on debt and i mean it it, it it surprises me you would think that an article like this by the ap would make people question demand that things change to to get the truth and it, it just it just doesn't no, I know. That's matter. the thing that's and astonishing. That, yeah. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And yet we have people, like you were describing in the, earlier in the program, who are elderly, retired, and they're afraid to make a move. Yeah. On the one hand, we've got a certain amount of fear. On the other hand, we have a certain amount of apathy. Nobody wants to do anything. Well, I can see the freight well, train coming, but I think I'll catch a few winks here, and I think I'll wake up just before the freight train arrives. I'll wake up from sleeping here on the tracks, you know, and I'll get off the tracks. We made there was a comment last week from someone I can't recall the name, and he says what's driven the fear in these past uh, seven years has been fear. And it's like, well, usually when you think of fear, it makes markets go down. But actually, describing the people... You're saying what drove the markets higher. Higher. I think the fear was actually driving the markets higher. Explain it. Well, we're going to break here, so we're a minute break. We can explain explain it when we come back. back. All right. Take a break. More commercials. Al and Melody will be back in a moment. Please stay tuned.
PSA count high, half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the Prostate Kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate gland. Call Apothecary Herbs for the Prostate Kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money-back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the Prostate Kit and empower yourself. Toll free, 866-229-3663 or international callers, 704-875-8010. That's toll free, 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Melody and Al on financial survival. You and me. Uh-huh. Me and you. Anyway, we were talking about fear. You can't sing much better than I can, you know that? Well, I wasn't planning to. Uh, I, I didn't uh, practice my scale today. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But yeah, the fear, people, the fear was keeping people in the market, and the people have a fear of losing. And so they keep it in there. There's no other options open to them. So they, they keep That's their because money. because the interest rates is being paid by so, banks, exactly. which they might regard as a safe investment. Those interest rates are so low, they've got to go into something that's riskier. Their fear is, keeping is them in pushing the them in the market. Now, that's an interesting argument. Mm-hmm. All right? And I haven't heard that one before. But I, uh, I found it interesting because, mm-hmm. it's like I said, usually when you talk about fear in the markets, um, in the markets are going down, not up. So, yeah. <laughs> so now that now it's that it's like a Roadrunner cartoon or something like that, you know, it's it's like Wiley e. Coyote. He's run off the cliff and he's keep running higher because he don't he, he doesn't dare look down and then he'll fall. So he keeps running higher through the air and the rest of that sort of thing. He's, it's, it's funny in the cartoons when you see it in the stock market. You say, you know, that actually isn't all that funny. What and else? I, and I just want to make one more statement before we're going to talk about, you know, being bailed out. Now, now what? Now what happens? But um, um, 
you know, people look for a 100% guarantee with their money. And there really isn't a 100% guarantee anyway. And even if you go into gold and silver, if you, you preserve your wealth, you purchase gold and silver, and it fluctuates, the long term, you don't buy gold today and expect it to go up tomorrow. You don't track it like you do your normal investments. It's something that you purchase, and it's a long term investment. That's how it protects your purchasing power over a long period of time. Now, I think the long period of time is certainly closing. I mean, we certainly expect a lot of things to begin to begin happening this year. But uh, again, you, you can't look for that 100% guarantee. No. Every one of us will be affected somehow, some way. And I, so, and that's the key to being prepared. So you well, get... there's some things that you can't exactly prepare for. Sure, you you, you do. Well, what you I mean, prepare... what I, you get older and you can't do the things you did when you were a young man, young woman. All right, there was a time when I was far more agile than I am today, and I don't just mean in a physical man. I don't just mean the physical sense. I mean that I was, you know, I could handle. It seemed to me, at least, that I could handle. I don't care. Give me a depression. It doesn't matter. I did. I can handle it. You know, recession, depression is all. Oh, sure. I, I don't care. You have that confidence. You get older, and you you don't necessarily have confidence in your own youthful agility, your ability to just you know roll with the punches and get up and laugh and joke and move on to the you know move on to the next battle or the next you know where's dinner? We'll find something. Well, you know, maybe the, how about that cat over there? You know, that cat is starting to look kind of tasty. Um, but we'll find something. You get older and you, you can't rely on that to the same degree you did when you were a young man, young woman. No, because whatever you lose as, you're, uh, as, as you age, as you're older, you lose. You don't have the time to get it back. I mean, when you're 30 and you lose everything, hey, you got the rest of your life to gain it back and double it and triple it. But when you're 70 and 75 and 80, whatever you lose, it's highly unlikely. Don't say anything gonna, about 70. That's why I moved on, Al. <laughs> that's why I went a little higher. <laughs> don't say anything about 70. But you can't, once it's lost, you can't get it back. So. Well, that's the, that's the thing. You, can, you can't have confidence that you'll get another job. I mean, your savings really have it's to not be. even a matter of confidence. You won't. Well, you know, but you know, when you're younger, you say, hey, I'll get another job. I'll go out tomorrow. I'll find something. When you're younger, yes, but when you're 80, no. And, and when you're 80, you can live another 20 years. So if you lose half your savings, you know, it makes life certainly much more Who difficult. Who calls this living, huh? Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's talk about uh, bailouts. Yep. An article from the Washington Post. And the headline, we bailed you out, and now you want What? Americans were angry when Wall Street's greedy and risky behavior triggered a global financial crisis in 2008. They were angrier still when the government led, had to borrow and spend hundreds of billions of dollars to rescue mortgage giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the largest banks, and the insurance company AIG. They were outraged when they found that executives of those enterprises were continuing to receive big salaries and bonuses. So just imagine how outrageous it would be if some Wall Street Sharpies went to court to argue that they didn't benefit enough from the bailouts and the taxpayers should pay them tens of billions of dollars more. Does that sound crazy, ladies and gentlemen? Well, in our modern world, 
I don't know that anything's crazy anymore, you know? Uh, and, and, and this is what's actually happening. Um, Canadian uh, John Stewart dubbed it lawsuits of the rich and shameless. Uh, Wall Street figures are suing their, uh, say, who are suing say their property was seized without compensation and violation of the com- Constitution. One case was brought by Maurice Hank Greenberg, the legendary chief executive of AIG, who Elite. Built, in, yeah, built it into the world's largest insurer. Filing the case, uh, filing the other case is a group of hedge funds that bought Fannie Mae and Freddie, uh, Fannie and Freddie stock for pennies per share after the companies were put in government conservatorship. Well, they're both suing, and they, for the first time, uh, Hank, uh, what was it? Did you say Greenberg? Greenberg. Yeah. His case was initially dismissed, but now they've moved on to the U.S. Court of Claims, which appears which appears to be sympathetic to his complaint. Mr. Greenberg is asking the court to award him and other AIG shareholders at least $23 billion from the Treasury. <laughs> he says that's to compensate them for the 80% of AIG stock that the Federal Reserve demanded as a condition for its bailout. Now, they're going broke. AIG was going broke, and the government said, all right, we'll bail you out, but you've got to give us 80% of your stock. Well, they bailed them out, and they saved them, and now AIG stockholders and whatever are saying, well, we need to be compensated because we're forced to give up 80% of what we had, even though what they had would have been worthless in a short period of time if they'd gone bankrupt or virtually worthless. Judge Thomas Wheeler has repeatedly signaled his agreement with Greenberg. A decision is expected any day. The Fannie and Freddie cases, the decision is further off. Trial is set to begin in the fall, yada, yada. Uh, What rings my bell about this is that are these plaintiffs victims or ingrates? Right? Are they really, have they really been victimized by the government as part of the bailout process? Um, I don't know. You know, are they victims? Are they, or just are they, are they, are they ingrate, you know, overwhelmed by their own ingratitude? I can't answer that question. But even though they receive billions of dollars from the government, they're arguing that they should be entitled to more. But imagine the implications if they win. We can look at it and say, oh, that's crazy, that's wild, that's this bizarre. But what if this principle is established? The court says, yes, yes, yes. Those of you who are beneficiaries of the government, if you don't get enough, well, then we'll give you more. You can sue for more. Imagine, <clears throat> what about the poor folks on welfare? Will they be able to sue the government claiming that despite having received thousands of dollars from government, they should be entitled to more? How about the rich folks receiving government subsidies? Um, Can they now sue the government claiming that despite having received hundreds of thousands of dollars from government, they should be entitled to more? What about government workers who are retired? Will they be able to sue the government for even larger pensions? What about ordinary retirees? How could they, could they now sue to gain more Social Security payments? I mean, we'll watch to see how these cases are resolved, and we'll report on whatever the opinions are that are finally issued by the courts. 
But if you think these cases are crazy, that somebody who received billions of dollars is complaining that he didn't receive enough billions. I mean, this is like winning the lottery. Yay, I won the lottery. How much did you win? $50 million, but it's not enough. I'm going to need at least $100 million, and I'll sue for it. The world is going mad, Melody. And uh, I'm not sure that we have any courts that are going to... I think they're helping. I think they're helping the madness. They have become a source of madness. Oh, Anyway, are you planning to sue the government for any benefits, Melody? No, I'm not. But, uh, I mean, there's a, a you know, the, I think that story with Greenberg probably goes a little bit deeper. And, oh, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, but again, you're right. It, it's, uh, it's, it's just in the sign of a crazy world. And I guess maybe he doesn't have anything better to do. The first, when I, if well, one, what do you if got one, better if to one, do than sue for $23 billion? Yeah. I don't know how busy. I mean, if you have. I've got time. I don't I mean, have If one thought, court throws time. it out, I mean, if one court throws it out, you would think that, you know, the rest would too. Ha, ha, ha. In a rational world, that might be true. But in the world where we live, yeah, that might not be true. So, what do we got, Melody? Well, three minutes left, and what do we have in its... Uh... Well, this is just a little bit different. This is a, We had a Triple Crown winner this uh, weekend. Yep. Uh, first time in how, 30, 37 years. Yep. Um, that's a long time. But what's interesting, though, you kind of wondered, too. I mean, there was only um, uh, American Pharaoh and, and another horse in there that actually ran in the Kentucky Derby, so... Um, you, you wonder if they, you know, if they had the same competition, uh, you know, in the other two races as they did in the uh, Belmont. But uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. But you know, oh, it's, it's hard a, to say. Hard some to say. Competitive but horses may just have said, "Look, we can't beat this horse. There's no point to race them." You know, hard to say what's going on there exactly. But in any case, we have another triple crown winner for the first time in 37 years. And people will debate whether it matches up with Secretariat. I think a lot of people think Secretariat was a better horse, but uh, ultimately a better horse. But there's debates and there's arguments. You know, it's like who's the best boxer? And who's you know, the best, who's the best world champion football team? There's you know, debates going forever. And you kind of wonder because you go back to 1978 and you look around what was happening in the economies and so forth, and you had a triple winner there. Now you have a triple winner, and and I know during the depression. Uh, horse racing was, uh, you know, it was, uh, you, you had that one horse back there. I can't remember the, the name of that horse, and my apologies to, to the listeners, but uh, I don't know. And maybe it's timing, maybe it's just a, you know, interesting coincidence. Interesting coincidence, but then, uh, you know, perhaps at the end of the year, it might make a little bit, maybe it will no longer be a coincidence, but. Yeah. It'll be just fun, and not only that, okay. by the end of the year, we may be not racing horse meat. We may be eating horse, horse meat, Melody, so I don't know. I got one other one here that we can talk about just briefly before. we got a minute and a half. This is from Market Watch. They, the next great bull market, gold, $25,000. Someone did a survey with uh, Elliott Wave Theory, and they charted that the gold price of gold could hit $25,000 within 10 years, right? 
Now, that would uh, that's an that's an increase of 2100 percent over the decade. Uh, excuse me, yeah, 2100 percent over the decade. That's an average of 210 percent per year. It wouldn't start that fast, of course, but it would finish almost vertical. You know, on the on the charts, it would be going up uh, much quicker. And the article ultimately, Elliott Wave Theory or whoever was put this together. Uh, calculated there's a 50-year bull market coming for gold. Right. Well, I don't, I don't put a lot of faith in charts because the numbers are the numbers we're looking right now that we get right now are imaginary. They're fictional. What you know? What does it prove? Uh, nevertheless, it's interesting to see someone come out who is apparently credible using the Elliott Wave theory, calculating that gold can go to 25 grand an ounce with the next 10 years. Yeah. Can't tell you that's the truth, but it's certainly something to think about if you want to make your, uh, if you want to invest in something other than paper. We're out of time, folks. We want to thank all of you for listening to the program. Um, Melody and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, with good Lord, bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. <laughs> Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. To the Frank Report. This is uh, your host, Francis Stephan. It is June 5th, 2015. It's Friday. It's about six minutes after 2 p.m. out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If all that's true where you're at, that means you can participate in the show if you'd like. This is your last chance for the week, as this show will be replayed this evening at 8 p.m. because I take Friday nights off from doing a show anyway, 
And uh, we just replay this one. So you get a double shot of this show. So it better be good. But for right now, you can call in 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980. Obviously, that is a toll-free number. So, you know, unless you're on a cell phone, which you pay for everything, and so do I then, so <laughs> aren't cell phones great? But anyhow, you can call in there, and you can get on the radio, or you can go to the chat room, okay? That's located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Look for the chat link, click it, go in there, and uh, you can participate by asking questions, making comments, or, you know, just chatting with the other folks. You can do that, too. You don't have to participate. There's no rule that you have to participate. We don't even have a rule that you have to, uh, you know, talk about what's going on on the show. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about in there, and people do all the time completely ignore what I'm talking about and talk about whatever they want to talk about, which is fine. You know, the only rule we have is the same rule every other network out there has, which you can't promote other networks on our chat room. That's all, you know, and that's, hey, that's standard. That's everybody's that way. So, there you go. And there is one other way you can participate in the show. Uh, it's a more more private than calling in or the chat room and it's just uh, the only one that will see it is me and the NSA of course and that's Yahoo Instant Messenger okay the screen name is AVRN Talk if you have Yahoo Instant Messenger and I have recently found out that uh, you know because I have Yahoo email which I might as well tell you my email. You can find it on the website, but it's American Voice Radio at yahoo.com. And I noticed that uh, from my uh, mail site there, uh, you can use the instant messenger from there. I never knew. I, I think that must be new or something, or fairly new, or maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Who knows? But so, you know, if you have Yahoo uh, Mail, you've already got Messenger, I guess, on there. So you can use that. AVRN Talk is the screen name you're looking for. Anywho. And you can use that anytime, folks. Uh, just like the chat room, you can you can go in there anytime. I'm in there quite a bit, and... Uh, you know, I leave it on even when I'm not in, when I'm not actually looking at it. I'm in there, so when I come back, I can see if you left me a message. And the chat room actually does have a private message function that you can use, and it's a little better for me now because I I changed the uh, resolution of my screen, so now I can actually see. Uh, the private messages, so uh, I'm I'm more apt to get to them. So you can uh, you know leave messages anytime for me on either one of those. The 800 number is really the only thing that's kind of time sensitive to only the live show. But let's get to uh, things and stuff. Now I don't know if you've been noticing, but uh, Americans are fat. Okay, we're the fattest people on the planet. And, you know, I, I I know this. I'm fat myself. I'm like 40 pounds overweight, folks. You know, and I'm not happy about it. Matter of fact, I lost 20 pounds and now I gained it back. 
you know, I, my problem mainly is I don't, I'm not active enough, see. When I'm active, I start losing weight. When I'm not, I start gaining weight because I don't change my eating style. <laughs> I just eat the same as I always eat. And if I uh, do things, then I start losing weight. If I don't, I start gaining weight, you know. But it's it's really, really easy to gain weight, much easier. And I, you know, I could say, well, you know, it's because I'm old. I'm getting old, and that's, you know, just the way it is for when you get old. But, you know, there's something odd going on about this. Now, according to Gallup, America is now fatter than it has ever been before. But how can this possibly be? After all, Americans spend an astounding, listen, $60 billion a year. That's right. Americans spend $60 billion a year on weight loss programs and products. Wow. You know, after putting so much time, effort, and energy into losing weight, shouldn't we be some of the healthiest people on the entire planet? You'd think $60 billion bucks would buy us a little bit of, uh, you know, weight loss. I mean, what if we didn't spend $60 billion on weight loss? How big would we all be then? Or is this just all a scam? I mean, are these weight loss programs just a scam? Are they working or are they not working? And if we didn't spend $60 billion, good golly, what would we be, like 500 pounds each? Sadly, the truth is that obesity has become a national epidemic and we are known around the globe for our huge size. The term fat Americans has become synonymous with overweight tourists. And other cultures mock us for our apparent sloth. Hmm. Curious they would use the word sloth. Because sloth is one of these words that you will find in the Bible. And, uh... Well, I'm not going to go into a Bible study, but uh, I can tell you this. It's a bad thing. It's a real bad thing. But could there be more to this than just the fact that we eat too much? Could it be possible that we have been fattened up by design? Hmm, this sounds conspiratorial. Let's read on. Before we get to that, let's take a look at some of the cold, hard numbers. The following are some of the statistics from the Gallup survey that I mentioned above. The national rate of obesity has risen to an all-time high of 27.7%. That's up from 27.1% in 2013 and is much higher than the 25.5% number that we were seeing in 2008. You know what, folks, and i got to say... Uh, you know, I go to Walmart, I go downtown, and uh, I got to think it's, it's <laughs> I don't know what we're calling obese, but, uh, you know, 27.7 seems a little low from what I'm looking at when I walk into Walmart. How about you? Anyway, at 19%, Hawaii has the lowest rate of obesity in the entire country. They must be leaving Samoans out of that whole thing. I'm telling you, because Hawaiians and Samoans... Uh, anyway, at 35.2%, Mississippi has the highest rate of obesity in the entire country. 
The rest of uh, the top ten includes West Virginia, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Kentucky, Iowa, uh, uh, Indiana, and Missouri. And remember, those numbers just cover obesity. You can definitely be overweight without meeting the official criteria of being obese. According to CNN, 70% of all Americans are overweight at this point. Okay, now see, now, now that's sounding more like what I see. Okay? 70% seems about right to me as far as overweight. And I don't know what, you know, what's the limit between overweight and obese? Mm, I don't know, you know, because I know they've got obese, morbidly obese, and, you know, I don't know what the, the cutoff for that is, but 70% overweight does sound about right to what I'm seeing. How about you? To say that we have a national crisis on our hands is a huge understatement. One of the primary reasons why most of us are overweight is due to how our food is made. The American diet is, diet is highly processed, and it is absolutely packed with obesity-causing ingredients such as sugar and high-fructose corn syrup. And it is well-documented that some of the additives that they put into our food are highly addictive and actually make you want to eat more. In fact, it has been reported that some of the additives are about as addictive as opiates, heroin, and cocaine. Oh, boy. Hey, that puts a new twist on the whole, uh, you know, why isn't anybody investigating the potato chip company that says, hey, you can't just eat one? Hey, maybe they're not kidding. Maybe they uh, put something in that uh, potato chip mix there that uh, makes it so you really, really, truly can't eat just one. Hey, if it's not okay for tobacco companies to do that, why would it be okay for food companies to do this? Gotta wonder, huh? Oh, wait, maybe the food companies have a little more juice at the FDA, huh? The big food companies want us to eat as much as possible, because when we eat more of their food, they make more money. Well, this makes sense, huh? Unfortunately... Being overweight is not just an issue of not looking as good as we could. As Gallup explained, a whole host of health problems are related to obesity. Well, now we know this, okay? I mean, uh, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, depression, you know, the whole high cholesterol thing is, you know, I've looked into this quite a bit. And it's way overblown, way, way overblown. This whole low cholesterol diet, it... it it's crap. You know, this is another reason I believe Americans are stupid, okay? Your brain is made up of cholesterol, and if you're going to go on a low-cholesterol diet, guess what? Yeah, that's right. You got it. Well, maybe if you're on a low-cholesterol diet, you didn't get it. Okay, I'll spell it out. Your brain is made out of cholesterol. If you're on a low-cholesterol diet, it might make you stupid. Mix in some fluoride, and uh, hey... Hmm. There you go. Let's see. Depression, diabetes, cancer, heart attacks. You know, I mean, here you go. And then we got Obamacare because, you know, hey, all these things like that obesity causes dries up, drives up health care costs. I don't know why, because, you know, uh, you know, this is one thing, see. Every other business out there. So you've got 
any kind of business and you have one or two customers, well, that's pretty much a uh, specialty business. And specialty stuff costs more because, well, you don't have the volume going, right? And if you've got a million, you know, like 10 billion hamburgers served, you can afford to sell them cheaper because you're selling more of them, right? Okay, so if people are more sickly, utilizing the healthcare system more, shouldn't the costs come down? Like in every other volume business? And if everybody gets healthy and healthcare turns into a specialty business, costs would go up? How come that's the opposite? How come that's backwards in healthcare, huh? See, I've never heard anybody ask that question because, wait a minute, the sicker we get and the more of us use the healthcare system, the cheaper it ought to get, right? Because that's how it is with every other business. Hey, the more volume you got, the cheaper things go, right? But not in healthcare. It's just the opposite. Oh, well, gee, people are sicker. Oh, well, hey, this is going to drive up healthcare costs. Really? Why? This is a completely opposite of every other business that exists. Huh. You got to wonder, eh? Anyway. So, here you go. Let's see here. Why doesn't the medical establishment do more to help us lose weight and keep it off? Well, if we were all at a healthy weight, they would lose a tremendous amount of money. Right now, if the U.S. healthcare system was a separate country, it would be the sixth largest economy on the entire planet. Is that disturbing or what, folks? Did you hear that? If the United States healthcare system was a separate country, it would be the sixth largest economy on the entire planet. The sicker that all of us are, the more money the medical establishment makes. Wait a minute. So, let's see. The more we eat, the more money the food industry makes. And the sicker we are, the more money the healthcare industry makes. Uh, I wonder if these guys are working together. You know, going, Psst, hey, put some crap in their food that makes them addicted to it, makes them sick, would you? You know, the, the they'll eat more and they'll be sick and we'll both make bank on this, huh? Yeah, wink, wink. Nah, that couldn't be going on, not here in America, because we've got the FDA watching out for us, and the USDA, and the American Medical Association. They're all looking out for us, so, you know, that couldn't possibly be going on in America, could it? Although it seems as though it is, well, that's just conspiracy theory. And guess what? Most of the programs don't work in the long run anyway. Yeah, in the end... The advice and products offer virtually no long-term return on investment, measured, of course, in pounds permanently lost, according to a 2006 study reported in the New England Journal of Medicine. Most people who participate in weight loss programs regain about one-third of the weight lost during the next year and are typically back to baseline in three to five years. So... You hear that toilet flushing? Yeah, that's $60 billion a year being flushed down the toilet by Americans playing with these weight loss programs. They don't work. Gosh, let's see here now. We got weight loss programs. 
Oh, yeah, they're benefiting from everybody being fat because nobody wants to be fat, so everybody's going, I need a weight loss program. So they're pissing away $60 billion a year on programs that don't work. They're eating food because there's addictive ingredients in them that the food companies put in there because the more we eat, the more money they make, and they fill them full of crap that makes us sick because, hey, the sicker we are, the more money the sixth largest economy on the planet makes, which is the U.S. healthcare system. Boy, this is great, man. It's almost like the Matrix, where we're just batteries sitting there, you know, uh, fueling the profits of these big companies. And when they drain us, time to go in the box. Hey, we've got Obamacare and the death panels. Oh, wait, we're not calling them death panels, are we? No, that was totally wrong and unfair and wrong and wrong and wrong, I tell you. Death panels, crazy woman calling them death panels. Oh, boy, you know, uh, they're just people who are deciding whether you will live or die. They're not death panels. Oh, okay. Obviously, the key is to make healthy choices a lifestyle and not just a, you know, oh boy, you know, I got to, you know, I got to get on this program. Okay. So, you know, we got to change the way we eat, obviously. You know, and like I said, that's my problem. I mean, I can exercise and, you know, well, I call it work. So I, you know, when I do work, physical labor around here, which is generally in the, you know, spring, summer, and fall, I tend to lose weight. And then in the winter, I tend to gain weight because I don't change my eating habits. I keep eating what I always eat. And in the summer when I'm active, that's fine. I end up losing weight and being, you know, I'm, I'm not overeating. I'm, a, I'm eating properly for my activity. But in the wintertime, what I should do is change my lifestyle as far as my eating habits and eat less or eat differently so I don't gain weight back. But I haven't been doing that, see? And that's what's happening, and that's what I'm telling you. You know, I'm telling me, I'm telling you that that's what we need to do. We need to adjust our lifestyle. Eating habits, you know. Read some labels, folks. I mean, now, look, you probably already knew, but, you know, this food has addictive ingredients. It has ingredients that make us gain weight at an increased, you know, uh, level. We, we gain weight faster. We can't help it. It's the crap they put in there, like high fructose corn syrup. You know, look, sugar's not good for you. But uh, high fructose corn syrup is far worse than sugar. And that doesn't mean sugar's good. It means it's bad, but <laughs> high fructose corn syrup is really bad. I mean, it's the difference between, look, you know, drinking a case of beer every day is bad, but drinking a case of whiskey every day is really bad. All right? All right. How about some foreign policy? You know, like the Ukraine. Now, you know the story behind the Ukraine, right? Russia had the Olympics, and while they were having the Olympics, and after, of course, 
the United States made a big issue about, well, I don't know, we might not want to go. And all their little European minions did the same thing, going, well, we're not sure uh, we really want to go because, you know, there could be a terrorist attack. And we're not so sure Russia can deal with a terrorist attack. Um, we're not sure, oh, it could be a terrorist attack at the Olympics. We know. So Russia, of course, didn't want their Olympics ruined because, you know, it's a big PR thing for them. So, they dedicated a lot of resources to dealing with terrorism at the Olympics that, of course, never existed, was never going to exist. And why? Well, because while they were spending all these uh, resources and attention on terrorism at the Olympics, the United States was overthrowing the democratically elected legitimate government of the Ukraine. So they could install their own little Nazi puppet. And that's exactly what they did. And that's what's going on in the Ukraine right now. And what kind of government has the United States propped up in the Ukraine? Well, one much like itself. A gangster state. That's what they've created in the Ukraine. You know, like a chip off the old block of Washington, D.C., Fascists in charge are guilty of most every high crime imaginable committed with full U.S. support and encouragement. They continue waging dirty war without mercy on Donbass. You need to look that up, folks. Look at, look at the pictures, okay? You know, if you don't, if you say, well, you know, these people, this is, this is Russian propaganda. You know, this is us, whoever propaganda. Then look at the pictures, okay? Look at the pictures of this town, of the city, and see what the Ukrainian government has done. They attack civilian neighborhoods, murdering non-combatant men, women, and children, torturing prisoners, committing atrocities too grave to ignore. Hey, this sounds like the United States, doesn't it? Torturing prisoners? That's what we do. Killing men, women, and children? That's what we do. Murdering non-combatants? That's what we do. Wow. Attacking civilian neighborhoods? Go ask the Iraqis about it. Go ask the Afghanis about it. That's what we do. Gee, this sounds pretty familiar. Hey, they also used chemical weapons last May and perhaps other times. A toxic choking agent was used. Symptoms included first-degree chemical, inflicted eye burns, alcohol-like intoxication, bodily lacerations, and fainting, as well as one or more victims diagnosed with unidentified gas poisoning. White phosphorus and other chemical weapons were used. So were illegal cluster bombs. Guess where they got the cluster bombs from? They got them from Washington, D.C., that's where. And they're illegal to use in war on people. On May 29th, Donsk People's Republic Defense Ministry spokesman Edward Barsarin warned about Kiev possibly readying to use chemical weapons again. He said works are underway on the territory of a chlorine storage base to the northeast of Kochtok settlement in the Klarkov region. A week ago, our intelligence saw 20 truck tanks with a capacity of five tons with an unknown chemical engine arrived at the facility's territory. 
5G. On May 26, U.S. military chemical experts arrived in Maripol. He explained, perhaps they, along with Kiev authorities, intend sabotage on Ukraine's territory with the aim of accusing DPR leadership of the crime against humanity, humanity a possible false flag. They, Folks, this is going on right in front of us. Right in front of us. Washington, D.C. is a... And they wonder why... You know what? And they're doing this right on Russia's doorstep. I'm telling you, I think Russia has shown immense tolerance in this. Because I'm telling you, if I was, if I was running Russia, I would tell Washington, D.C., you know what, you better pull out right now, or I am gonna, I'm going to fire some intercontinental ballistic missiles right on top of Washington, D.C., and kill every last one of you. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't play around. No, we're not going to have a war. We're just, I'm just going to rain missiles down on Washington, D.C., and you can retaliate if you think you can. But I'm taking you guys out. Man, I mean, these guys are insane. They are completely insane. They're trying to start a war with Russia. Is that what you want, folks? I mean, honestly, even you warmongering, uh, you know, Republican types out there. And, and you, you know, you sissified Democrats out there. You know, where's all the big war, anti-war protests that, that, that were there under Bush? See, Democrats are such a bunch of hypocritical little weasels that it makes me sick. You know, because, okay, hey, I supported the anti-war protests against Bush. Yeah, I don't care if who's running them. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat or whoever. I'm anti-war. Anti-the wars we've got. Look, if somebody attacks the United States, I'm going to war. If somebody attacks me, I'm going to war. There's a time for war. But there is no time for tyranny. And that's what this country is pulling on the rest of the world. Worldwide tyranny through, you know, aggression. And it's wrong. But where are those protests now? Where are the Cindy Sheehan's now, now that they've got a Democratic president? How come they're not protesting all this crap's going on in the, in the Ukraine? You know, I, hello? You know, when being for or against war becomes a political issue, there's something really, really wrong. It's not a political issue. If you're running around the war, uh, the world starting wars with people because you want to, you know, uh, do your New World Order or you want to control them or whatever, you know, it's wrong. I don't care who you are. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a bit.
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one four. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and system $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is June 5th, 2015. It's Friday, and it is 2.42 and a half in the afternoon. So if you're listening in the evening, this is a repeat from earlier today. Anyway, I'm giving the room a chance to guess on that second song. They guessed on the first one. So I guess I'll get to that. Uh, Let me give you the call-in number first, 800-932-1980. You can go to the chat room by going to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Look for the chat link, and you're there. And... uh, uh, Yahoo Instant Messenger, AVRN Talk is the screen name. All right. Well, now, funny thing happened on the way to stump the room. Because <laughs> somebody in the room said, hey, Ronnie James Dio, you can't sneak in by me today. Well, that may be true. However, uh... The guess of the band was Elf, which is the second incarnation of the Electric Elves, which is how they started, and then they just dropped the electric thing and said Elf uh, instead of Elves, and, uh, you know, all Ronnie James Dio. However, that song was not Elf. That song, which is Black Sheep of the Family, is Rainbow. So, eh, wrong. While I didn't sneak Ronnie James Dio by you, I did sneak Rainbow by you, and that's the game. Guess the band. So, by the way, uh, uh, Rainbow was, uh, not only Dio was the uh, singer in that, uh, Richie Blackmore was uh, the uh, guitar player. So somebody else had guessed... uh, uh, Deep Purple. So, there you go. It was Rainbow. And I don't see any guesses for the second song, so I'll just let you know that I have mentioned them just now. That was the Electric Elves. Again, Ronnie James Dio was the singer there. And the name of the song is It Pays to Advertise. And that means that's 2 and O. Oh. Shut out. Bada bing, bada boom. What a way to end the week. Yay me. All right, enough. Let's get back to the Ukraine. All right, let's see here. Uh, oh, this goes on and on about illegitimate prime minister. Uh, said he'd only talk to current Donbass leaders when they are behind bars. You know, I mean this is the this is this is who the American government is backing. Ukraine is a criminal coup d'etat gangster state masquerading as a legitimate governance. It's a Nazi infested fascist police state. It's a lawless belligerent one. It's a major human and civil rights violator. It's a klep Kleptocracy run by mega thieves complicit with corporate ones, huge corrupt 
profiting at the public's expense. You know, uh, economist Michael Hudson calls it a regime, an umbrella for gravitization. Um, Ukrainians lucky to have jobs aren't getting paid or get sub-poverty wages impossible to live on. Kleptocrats and business owners are jumping ship. You know, uh, the 1973 Pinochet coup in Chile, followed by invasion of the Chicago Boys, was a dress rehearsal for all this, Hudson explains. Chicago-style free market predation is impossible with force-fed tyranny. Ukraine is the new poster child. Obama's friends are gangsters, murderers, torturers, rapists, and mega-thieves. Poroshenko is an illegitimate oligarch, mega-crook, heading a regime with no legitimacy whatsoever. Well, you know, here you go. This is what this is what the United States. You think things are bad here, okay? You think what Obama's doing is bad in this country. What he's doing around the world is even worse, folks. And it's going to end. Okay? It's going to end with a war. How else can it end? How, what, do you really believe that Russia is going to take much more of this? And now the United States government is over in the South China Sea telling China, oh, hey, guess what? Uh, we don't like the idea you're building islands. So you'll have to stop because we say so. Hey, China's telling the United States, you know what? Take a nice big handful of that glass there and shove it up your, you know what? And that's what China's answer to the United States about, we don't like you building uh, islands in the South China Sea. Because, hey, we might want to cruise through there and we don't want you watching us. We don't want you having any ability to defend your own region. If we decide to bring our aircraft carriers in here, and that's really what they're worried about. Now, they say, oh, we're worried about trade. You know what? China's been trading for 5,000 years. That's what China does. Okay? China is not a militaristic uh, adventure country where they just get in their boats and go around the world attacking other countries. They never have. Now, yeah, do they want to control their own area? Sure. They feel that, you know, Asia that they're the top dog in Asia. Of course, all the Asians feel they're the top dog in Asia. Asians are typically very racist people. Okay? And not just, you know, they don't like round eyes. That No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking amongst themselves. I'm talking the Chinese don't think very highly of the Koreans. And the Koreans don't think very highly of the Vietnamese. And the Japanese don't think very highly of any of the other Asians. You know, they all think we're the best Asian going, and the rest of you are dogs. And that's how they go about things, among themselves. We look at Asians and go, what? You're all Asians. No, not to them, they're not all Asians. The Chinese are the Chinese, the Koreans are the Koreans, the Vietnamese are the Vietnamese, and so on and so forth, and they don't much like each other. Because they all feel the other one is below them. 
Yeah. So in Asia, yes, China does, you know, wield a certain amount of control and power. But they have never, ever in their long history been the military adventurers that the Western world has been. China deals in trade. They want to trade with the rest of the world. Now, the United States says, well, we can't have you building these islands in the South China Sea because it will uh, threaten trade. Uh, The last thing the Chinese are going to do is threaten trade. Okay? Now, they may threaten our super carrier task forces who start floating into their region, pushing everybody around. Yeah, they may say someday, you know what? Get out. Get out or we'll sink you. Oh, and by the way, they have the ability to sink our aircraft carriers. Oh, by the way, aircraft carriers are obsolete. As a matter of fact, pretty much the whole surface fleet idea is obsolete. When you've got aircraft and you've got submarines uh, and you're fl- bobbing around on the top of the ocean in a big, you know, steel can, okay, you know, at one time, tanks were a very ominous piece of equipment on the modern battlefield, except the modern battlefield was uh, World War One at the time. Tanks were new, and it was like, whoa, look at this thing, man. We can't shoot bullets through it. We can't even, you know, these things just keep coming. Uh-oh. Well, guess what? By World War II, tank tank crews had about the, the, the shortest lifespan of anybody on the battlefield. Tanks have become pretty much obsolete on the modern battlefield. Now, we keep building modern tanks. The Abrams is quite impressive. It's a big, big tank with heavy, heavy armor. But nevertheless, an airplane can still destroy it in a heartbeat. They have no defense against airplanes. Or even helicopters. Now, yeah, They work great when you roll into a place like Iraq, and they're not so bad in any kind of thing as long as you can maintain air superiority. But if you do not have air superiority, your tank force are sitting ducks and about to be killed. Now tell me, what's the difference between an aircraft carrier and a tank? Aircraft carriers are supposed to be able to provide air superiority. But guess what? If they're providing air cover for the aircraft carrier, they can't be attacking anybody else. And if the airplanes are in the air providing air superiority, oh wait, we've developed something called missiles. And the Chinese have a missile system that they deliberately, specifically have designed to sink United States aircraft carriers. Now, I'm just speculating, but I would figure 
a man-made island in the middle of the South China Sea would be a good place to put a missile battery. Don't you? I'd put a missile battery and I'd put an airfield and uh, I'd be able to protect air cover from my missile battery while I put all your aircraft carriers to the bottom of the ocean. And then all your air superiority fighters that are left in the air, well, oh, I guess they can go land on the mainland of China and be captured. This is what the United States government is really worried about. China's about to take away their baseball bat and say, look, get out of our yard. Well, D.C. can't have that, man. They believe the world is theirs to control. And you know what? The sad part is too many Americans believe that, too, that somehow we have some uh, manifest destiny to rule the world. We don't. As a matter of fact, we can barely, uh, well, barely, wait a minute. I look around and I'm thinking, now, you know what? Wait a minute. We're $500 trillion in debt or something. Our country is a moral cesspool. Our education system is pumping out children who appear to know how to read but can't comprehend anything. Gee, our medical system is the sixth largest economy on the planet. And its whole design is to keep people sick and kill people. Uh, You know what? Does that sound like a country that is at all suited to run the world? Unless we're talking about run the world into the ground, okay, fine. Well, then, hey, you got got your man in Washington, D.C., then. Because that's what they're doing to this country, running it into the ground. So I guess if you want them running the world, that's what will happen to the world. But who wants that? Well, you can say it's the biblical uh, myth boogeyman if you'd like. But the only one that I know that wants the world run into the ground and everybody dead is Satan. So you can believe that or not, but it certainly seems as though this is what's happening. Because why would anybody else? I don't, you look, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a Jesuit, a Jew, a a black guy, a a Kenyan, a white guy. I don't care who you are. If you're living on this planet, why would you want to destroy the place you live and everybody in it? Why would that be a good plan for you? Why would you think this is this is this is a good idea? <laughs> I can't imagine why. What well, you know? I, who else? Anyway, so we have. Uh, well, let's see here. I'm not gonna go into that story here because this is a. It's a. I'll do it some other time. Oh, oh, Australia and vaccines. Oh, sad, sad, sad. Very sad. I'll tell you, man. I I don't know what happened to uh, Australia. You know, I grew up believing Australia was full of independent macho men living in the outback, independent-minded thinkers that, you know, moon the queen when she comes to town and all that stuff. And it turns out that whole country has is just... I don't know. They've just rolled over on their back and said, you know, 
give it to me. Just, just go ahead. Slip my throat. I, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. I'm, uh, maybe I had a complete misunderstanding of Australians. You know, uh, it could be because I'll tell you, I've had many misunderstandings of lots of places. <laughs> like California, Hollywood. Oh, boy, you know, I grew up, hey, Hollywood, man, I really want to go there. You know, yeah, this is going to be great. Movie stars, cement ponds, you know, that whole thing, right? So I show up there, I'm standing on Hollywood and Vine, and I realize, hey, I'm surrounded by junkies and prostitutes. What kind of place is this? Isn't the Hollywood I, I thought I was coming to? What, what is this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that actually was me. That happened to me. Yeah, I, I had this idea about Hollywood, and there I am on Hollywood and Vine. I'm looking at the at the road sign going, jeez, I, I know this is it. This has got to be it. And I'm looking around going, golly, what the heck? I got junkies over here. I got prostitutes over there. I got a guy selling dope over there. What kind of Hollywood is this? Florida, same thing. I thought I was going to the world of Disneyland. Turns out Florida is just a place where other people live. <laughs> Hawaii, same thing. Hey, paradise. Oh, yeah, sure, paradise. Third world paradise, you know, but it, so maybe I was, you know, just sold propaganda about Australians and they've always been the quitter wimps that they seem to be now. I don't know. But America's not far behind, so, uh, you know, we can't point the finger at Australia, really, because we're going the same way as they are. If we don't, <laughs> I don't think we can do anything, folks, except work on surviving yourself your family, maybe your community, I mean your neighborhood. Gosh, see, I'm brainwashed to say community, neighborhood. Anyway, I'll be back Monday. As always, thanks for listening. Stay tuned. We got good stuff coming up. Farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. To the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Today is Monday, June 8th, 2015. It is the 3 o'clock hour right here on the left coast. If you're listening some other time zone, obviously you're going to have to adjust to your clocks accordingly so you can be in sync with your host, of course. This is a live call in show. Call 
calling in is not necessary. Thinking, however, is, of course, we do always give that exemption to those from Media Matters for America and the Southern Poverty Law Center and all those government agents that we have proven time and time again do listen in to this show very intently. Because, after all, if we was to require them to think, that would create a hostile work environment, and I do not want to be responsible for that. If you'd like to call in, it's real simple. The number is 1-800-932-1980. Real simple number, easy to remember. Or you may send an instant message directly to your host via Yahoo Instant Messenger ID KC7AQK. As is our want, we like to open up this show with the wisdom of the ages, otherwise known as the dead white guy, quote, the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands, whether of one, a few, or many, and whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny, end quote. Thank you, President Madison, for pointing that out, because he certainly was right. Okay, we have 23 pages in our show newsletter. Your calls, instant messages, smoke signals, and whatever else happens to come across the transom. And we will get to as much of it as possible right after this little disclaimer. Warning, this show may be hazardous to your paradigms if you are a whiny, crying, liberal, pinko, commie bedwetter, an inept, overpaid bureaucrat, or are still mad over Reagan's tax cut. Should you fit into any one of the above categories, immediately have your friends tie you down for some truth therapy. Continue this therapy until you can dismiss your delusions and can deal with reality. If you cannot handle 100% pure, unadulterated truth, this radio show will not be held responsible for your predictable discomfort. And welcome back to the show. Remember, my friends, my job is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. You see, it's real simple. It's okay if you disagree with me. After all, I can't force you to be right. But I can teach you how to ask questions. And that's the whole point. Well, one of the major points of this show critical thinking and the ability to ask questions. So, you know, what can I say? Are you supporting this show? Are you supporting this network? We're not NPR here, my friends. We don't get government subsidies, and you should be thankful to us for that, that we don't get government subsidies and such. But that means we truly are listener-supported. 
You're a listener. Are you supporting? No. Why not? I don't think I have to say anything more at that point. Except to bring out today's first hit. WikiLeaks exposes Obama's phony trade bill. Only five of 29 chapters in the phony trade bill are about trade. Mm-hmm. WikiLeaks has gotten their hands on a copy of Obama's phony TPP trade bill. It contains 29 chapters, but like I said, only five pertain to trade. WikiLeaks will be publishing the entire bill, and they have already released the chapter on investment. It's very interesting. It's written in such a way as to give multinational companies a huge advantage on trade. For example, if a public hospital is built close to a private one, the private hospital has the right to sue the country for expected losses. That's just outrageous, my friends. And you can find the whole chapter in a link that I've included here in the show newsletter, which you can get if you are supporting this show. In fact, I've even developed a new way to share the show newsletters with you if you're interested. It's real simple. You subscribe to the show. And subscription is real simple. I just ask for a uh, $5 a month and $25 uh, donation to get started, you know, so that's five bucks a month. And then I put it into a Dropbox, and you subscribe to Dropbox, and then when the show's over, I drop it into the Dropbox, and when you are ready for it, you access your uh, in key to the Dropbox file, and there you got it. But anyway, I digress. That's how you would get it. And the agreement, back to this Obama phony TPP trade bill, would also regulate the Internet. Surprise, surprise. And requires Internet companies to gather certain data, which, which they will be required to share with certain private companies. And many of the provisions will not only be secret before the vote in that House, but will also be kept secret for four years after the bill is signed. That means we won't even know what's in it after it's passed. Here's what WikiLeaks had to say. The investment chapter highlights the intent of the TPP negotiating parties led by the United States to increase the power of global corporations by creating a supranational court or tribunal where foreign firms can sue, quote-unquote, states and obtain taxpayer compensation for, quote, unexpected future profits or excuse me, expected future profits, not unexpected. I, I, to me, it's like it's unexpected. How do you know what your future profits are until you've actually had them? Anyway, WikiLeaks goes on saying, these investor state dispute settlements, they're called ISDS, tribunals are designed to overrule the national court system. The ISDS tribunals introduce a mechanism by which multinational corporations can 
force governments to pay compensation if the tribunal states that the country's laws or policies affect the company's claimed future profits. In return, the state hopes that the multinationals will invest more. Similar mechanisms have already been used. For example, U.S. tobacco company Philip Morris used one such tribunal to sue Australia. June 2011 was when this started. Notice I didn't say when it finished. For mandated, mandating plain packaging of tobacco products on public health grounds. And by the oil giant Chevron against Ecuador in an attempt to evade a multi-billion dollar compensation ruling for polluting the environment. The threat of future lawsuits chilled environmental and other legislation in Canada after it was sued by pesticide companies in 2008 and 9. ISDS tribunals are, are often, surprise, surprise, held in secret and have no appeal mechanism, do not subordinate themselves to human rights laws or the public interest, and have few means by which other affected parties can make representations, end quote. So, do we really want to turn our laws over to large, crony capitalist corporations? I don't think so, my friends. Here is a link that I'm including here where you can hear Assange talking about the TPP and what is really in the agreement. Uh-huh. Speaking of attacks on businesses and such... The Obama attack on small business, almost nobody is talking about. Have any idea what I'm talking about? Hmm, you might not. The Obama White House has recently assured its, wait for it, big union supporters that it plans to make small businesses across the country far more vulnerable to potential union influence far easier than it was just a few short years ago. This has organized labor. Mm, yum, 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 licking its collective chops over the thought of moving into tens of thousands of businesses across the nation and unionizing workers and then collecting hundreds of millions in new campaign, oh, excuse me, union due fees each year. Sorry, a little Freudian slip there. And you thought it was already tough to start and then maintain a small business? Ha ha! <laughs> you thought it was? Ha ha ha! If the Obama administration has its way, my friends, it's about to get a whole lot tougher. The law is called the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act. Now, again, my friends, this is one of those things where you look at the title and it does exactly the opposite of what its name implies. It's not about reporting and disclosure. It's about the opposite of that. Here's why. Listen, this is how it works. To prevent small business owners from speaking directly to workers about potential unionization of their businesses. Now, this law 
has been around for decades. But the Obama administration has recently expanded the pro-union powers of the law while greatly reducing a business owner's ability to counter unionization attempts. The law is set to be fully implemented via the BO administration before the end of this year. Now, once the new rules take effect, a business owner will have just two weeks to try to negotiate with its own workers regarding forming a union. Now, in the past, owners had two months. Also, any communications the business has with workers and or outside legal representation or lobbying, etc., regarding pending unionization must, are you ready for this, be reported to the federal government. This is the part of this newly expanded powers of the law known as the persuader rule. Now, when you think persuader rule, think of the guy with the baseball cap and think of your kneecaps, okay? Baseball bat. And I, I might have said something else, sorry. But think of the guy with the baseball bat and then think of your kneecaps, the persuader rule. And that is most troubling to small business owners who lack the resources to comply with such a demand because it places the business owner at a distinct disadvantage to a well-funded union group simply coming in and within a matter of two weeks effectively taking over the day-to-day -day operations of that business with the full backing and power of the federal government to do so. You see, American small business has historically been a segment of the population that big government Democrats have found themselves unable to completely control. See, small business owners tend to be more independent-minded and thus politically unpredictable. And this has made them a target for attempted control by politicians like B.O., who strongly favor centralized control over nearly all facets of American life. That attempted control, my friends is now about to be unleashed upon this country's small businesses, both present and future, and nothing good in the way of freedom, liberty, innovation, and jobs will come from it. Mark my words. Unions have long communicated the lie that they <clears throat> fight for the middle class. Not true. What unions want is control of the middle class, and the BO administration is now moving quickly to help them do just that. Okay, I got news for you, more news about the that Waco biker gang shootout, and I got four reasons for you why that Waco biker gang shootout reflects reflects badly on the police. Part of it is that one of the bikers arrested has sued Waco police for having no cause for the arrest. Mm -hmm. So, let's recap. What was initially reported 
as a motorcycle gang shootout that killed nine and wounded 18, to which police heroically responded last month in Waco, Texas, at the Twin Peaks restaurant, seems a bit more complicated and a bit worse for the cops then as further details have been revealed. Hmm. You see, what has happened is that, like I said, one of the people arrested at the scene, Matthew Clenadim, filed a lawsuit directly against the officers involved in the incident. That would be Manuel Chavez by name and others as John and Jane Doe's, as well as the city itself. Now, from that suit filing, in which Mr. Clemenden presents himself as a man with no criminal record, a former fireman, a small business owner on whom employees depend, and a father of three who also depend on his ability to earn income not to rot in jail. He insists he committed no crime. He had no intention of committing any crime when he was arrested while at the Twin Peaks restaurant in the aftermath of the shooting event, and that, from the lawsuit, Despite the fact that Clemenin committed no criminal acts, he was arrested at Twin Peaks on or about May 17, 2015, without probable cause, and his motorcycle was illegally seized on or about May 18, 2015. Chavez, aided by unnamed other police officers, presented a criminal complaint, the criminal complaint against Clemenin, to Justice of the Peace Walter H. Peterson, the criminal complaint alleges that plaintiff Matthew Allen Clemenin committed the capital offense of engaging in an organized criminal activity and is attached here to as attachment A. It is believed that Pedersen was chosen by Chavez, does 1 through 10 and does 11 through 20 because he is a former Texas Department of Public Safety trooper with no formal legal training. The identical criminal complaint used in plaintiff Matthew Allen Clemenin's case was used to justify the arrest of more than 100 other individuals, and only the names were changed in the various criminal complaints. The complaint alleges absolutely no individualized probable cause to establish that Matthew Allen Clemenin engaged in organized criminal activity. Moreover, Chavez failed to inform Peterson that plaintiff Matthew Allen Clemenin was not a member of the Cossacks nor the Banditos and that he did not participate in any of the violence occurring at Twin Beaks, but instead hid from the violence. End quote. So, Clemenden is claiming that 170 people on the scene were just rounded up and arrested, in many cases had their motorcycles stolen by the police, and were given a uniform $1 million bond with no particular individual reason to believe that they had committed any crime at all. And he's actually trying to hit not just the city government, but the specific officers who arrested him with liability for violating his rights. He claims to be at risk of losing both any custody of two of his children and his landscaping business while in jail. Now, according to a local NBC report, it will be months before those arrested at Twin Peaks get a probable cause hearing, but this week the insanely high bond was reduced for many of them, and some of them started getting out. And as I reported last week, some of them were offered lower bonds 
if they agreed not to sue. So, there are at least four reasons, as I started to say, four reasons to wonder if the police account and actions about the motorcycle gang shootout that they allege to have pacified above are above reproach. Number one, as Clement and Lawsuit notes, there is insufficient reason to believe that all of the 170 arrested even committed any actual crime. Number two, the police originally claimed that all those they arrested were members of the two, quote, criminal gangs, end quote, most implicated in the deaths, that being the Banditos and the Cossacks. Associated Press found that not only were they not all members of those specific gangs, but whatever the criminality of the gangs, 115 of the arrested had no criminal records in Texas, at least. Number three, the police originally claimed over a thousand weapons were confiscated on site, a number that was then downgraded to 318. But Having a weapon on one's person is neither evidence of having committed nor having planned to commit a crime, but certainly can, when announced to the press, make some nervous Nelly people think, wow, glad the police started opening fire on that crowd. And finally, number four, despite police reports that the fighting and shooting began inside the restaurant and spilled out, Closed-circuit footage of the restaurant seen by AP and reports from restaurateurs to the AP indicate the shooting began outside, which is where the police already were. Yeah, the police were already surrounding that restaurant in force, ready for action, exactly how and why they began firing on the bikers, and what happened before then should not necessarily be trusted merely from their mouths. They still have not officially announced how many of the dead or wounded were shot by the police themselves. We only know that at least some of them have <clears throat> officially been identified as being killed by police bullets. I think it's all of them. <laughs> all nine. And I believe that, uh, that at least a majority of the 18 others shot, just wounded, not killed, were also shot by the police. I don't have proof of that, but everything that I've read about this that I haven't shared with you leads me to believe that. Now, in related story, I've got from USA Today the actual lawsuit from this gentleman here and the whole nine yards of it, okay? So you can read about that. Now, when we come back from the upcoming break... You know I spend a lot of time talking about the inadequacies of the lamestream media. About the rest of the show, except for the law school segment, is going to be documenting why the lamestream media is so ineffective. So you're, you're going to want to call your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, and your enemies to have them listen in. Because I'm going to document 48 reasons, among others, why the lamestream media is not to be trusted. So you're really going to want to stick around for it. It's going to take me a little while because it's 48 hardcore documented reasons why they are not 
to be trusted. And, of course, right at the top and bottom of the list is good old Brian Williams. So, like I say, you're really going to want to stick around for that. It's going to take me a little time to get through the whole thing, okay? But it'll be worth it. So, again, you're going to want to get your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, and your enemies to listen in. Because we're going to rip them a new one, my friends. And you really want to hear about that. Okay? So, um, I evidently timed that just a little too soon there. Because I really didn't want to get started on it. (laughs) Except to tell you that it's coming up. So, you're listening to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. 
Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. back to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, Amroy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all-around pain in the rear end of bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Today is still Monday, June 8, 2015. It is the 3.30 part of the hour here out on the left coast. And as promised, my friends, I am going to go into a rather extreme extensive dissection of exactly why the lamestream media is dying or dead because they are not to be trusted and we're going to start right out with good old brian williams headline brian williams may end up with a quote new role end quote at nbc well you remember him Right, Brian Williams? And it turns out that NBC is reportedly trying to hold on to him, but in a new role instead of a return to the NBC nightly news desk. A new report from CNN's Brian Stelter says that the NBC executives still mulling over what to do about Williams, and while one possibility is he leaves the network altogether, there is talk of a new role for him to fill, and none other than NBC News chairman Andy Lack is reportedly a big proponent of the idea. It's not clear what that might entail, whether it be another role specifically at NBC News or a role at PMS NBC, or maybe he'll finally get The Tonight Show. Yeah, a decision will have to come soon, though, because Williams is over halfway done with his six-month suspension. Stelter spoke on the air with Vanity Fair's Brian Burrow, who wrote a very detailed inside look at the quote-unquote civil war that's been going on at NBC News. You can watch the video of it here with the link that I provide for you, my friends. But if you think that there's a civil war going on, well, I got news for you, my friends. There ain't no war at all. It's a lot of blue-ha-ha and nothing. Okay, now, I told you we'd start with Brian Williams. Let's get right to it. Why? Is the lamestream media a dead-letter issue? Well, I've got the scandal rap sheet for you, my friends. Forty-eight, count them, 48 reasons to distrust and to despise the lamestream media. Well, the American lamestream media 
Why? It's filled to the brim with liars, frauds, partisans, cheats, plagiarists, and those who tolerate, defend, and enable all of them. Now, my friends, I tell you that I'm bringing you news stories that, I'm, that I've called from other sources. I don't claim in any way, shape, or form to have originated this material myself. And those of you who get the show newsletter know this because you see the exact sources of where I'm getting things from. And when you listen to me and then compare them with what's in the show newsletter, you find out that I do an awful lot, uh, well, to the lamestream media, it's an awful lot of pontificating on why some of these things are important or, on the other hand, why they're not important at all. But I'm pointing them out to you none the same to help you sharpen your critical thinking skills. Well, there is no other American institution, not one, not the NFL, not the tobacco companies, not any corporation or enterprise regularly targeted by the media that engages in anywhere near the amount of fraud and dishonesty that serially oozes from our media overlords. Cue evil theme music here, okay? Now, forget about bias for a moment. Forget mistakes and misstatements and stupid or nasty things said during live telecasts. There isn't enough internet to begin to list the countless instances of left-wing bias and politicking and idiocy the media engage in. What I have here, my friends, accumulated is scripted, planned, and intentional. And although I'm sure that more than a few examples have been overlooked, this list is still a mind-blowing reminder of just how shamelessly corrupt the American media is. For these, my friends, are the intentional lies, the intentional violations of ethics, the intentional manipulations, the intentional attempts to hurt the political right by employing the kind of tactics used by third world propagandists. And here is the most striking part. All, I repeat, all of these scandals involved an attempt by a media that advertises itself as nonpartisan. Of course, PMSNBC is accepted from that, but I digress. But they advertise themselves as nonpartisan, and it's to aid and abet the socialists, sometimes called the Democrat Party, or to undermine the conservative or libertarian Republicans, or to advance the media's primary cause, which is to increase the size and scope of America's central federal government. So, as you listen to this list, ask yourself, which American company or institution could survive a rap sheet even half as long as this one? Decades of lies, cover-ups, dictator coddling, outright fraud, theft, 
and the fabrication of evidence. You know, my friends, the watchmen don't need to be watched. The watchmen are a disease that need to be cut completely out of our society. And that's what shows like this and others like this attempt to bring to you, my friends. We are the new media. We are the ones to sound the cry for you to hear what's really going on out there. And the lamestream media does not like us one little bit, which is why they will do everything in their power to discredit, defame, marginalize, and belittle us. So let's get started. Number one. NBC News, Dateline, stages the General Motors explosion, 1992. Remember, in an episode of Dateline NBC, NBC News rigged a pickup truck so it would explode on impact with another vehicle. Viewers were not told the explosion was rigged and therefore fraudulently led to believe GM trucks were unsafe. Dateline is still on the air. Number two, Newsweek. Clinton's Lewinsky scandal buried January 1999. To protect then-President Billy Boy Clinton, Newsweek sat on and buried the story of the decade. What was that story? A sitting and married president was having a sexual affair with a 22-year-old White House intern. What happened? Internet upstart Matt Drudge ended up breaking the story wide open. Clinton was eventually impeached for committing perjury, and he also had his Arkansas law license suspended. Which, by the way, my friends, as I recall, it's still suspended. Number three, the New Republic. Stephen Glass blisters Republicans with lies, May 1998. For nearly three years at the left-wing New Republic, Stephen Glass fabricated numerous stories, many of which mocked and belittled Republicans. Number four, CNN, in exchange for access... Saddam Hussein's human rights atrocities were covered up, April 2003. In an April 2003 New York Times op-ed, CNN's chief news executive, Eason Jordan, admitted that in exchange for keeping its Baghdad bureau open, CNN regularly lied to its viewers and did so for a full decade. CNN systematically suppressed and outright covered up numerous stories involving the Iraqi government's involvement in assassinations, torture, and other human rights atrocities from the story. I came to know several Iraqi officials well enough that they confided in me that Saddam Hussein was a maniac who had to be removed. One foreign ministry officer told me of a colleague who, finding out his brother had been executed by the regime, was forced as a test of loyalty to write a letter of congratulations on the act to Saddam Hussein. An aide to Uday Hussein, 
once told me why he had no front teeth. Henchmen had ripped them out with pliers and told him never to wear dentures so that he would always remember the price to be paid for upsetting his boss. Again, we could not broadcast anything these men said to us, so they covered it up for a decade, my friends. Number five, New York Times, good old Maureen Dowd, intentionally misquotes George W. Bush, May 2003, in one of her more desperate and sleazy anti-Bush attacks. Left-wing New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd falsely reported that then-President Bush claimed al-Qaeda was no longer a problem. This is what Dowd wrote, quote, this was her quote, she made up, this is what she said, quote, Al-Qaeda is on the run, President Bush said last week, that group of terrorists who attacked our country is slowly but surely being decimated, they're not a problem anymore, end quote. What Bush actually said, quote, Al-Qaeda is on the run. That group of terrorists who attacked our country is slowly but surely being decimated. Right now, about half of all the top Al-Qaeda operatives are either jailed or dead. In either case, they're not a problem anymore. End quote. Now, my friends, you know I don't have a lot of love for G.W. Bush, but outright fabrication of so-called quotes, uh, for all my animosity, I don't do that, my friends. I will instead point out exactly what he did say or do, rather than making it up. But no disciplinary action was taken against Dowd. None. Number six, New York Times, Jason Blair's Serial Lies and Plagiarism, May 2003. Because he was a liberal and black and knew how to schmooze, the New York Times handed Jason Blair the keys to the kingdom without caring all that much about his experience, or maybe we should say lack of experience, or lack of character. No, Blair stole and fabricated stories, lifted stories from others that, among other things, attempted to damage the prosecution's case against John Muhammad, the Beltway sniper. Number seven, the L.A. Times. Time their hit on Schwarzenegger and opponent's history buried. October 2003, from About News, just before the 2003 California recall election, the Los Angeles Times reported allegations that gubernatorial candidate and Terminator star Arnold Schwarzenegger had groped six women between 1975 and 2000. But the Times drew fire on the timing of the article, which had apparently been ready to go for weeks. And while four of the six alleged victims were not named, it turned out the Times had nixed the story, alleging that then-Governor Gray Davis had verbally and physically abused women because it relied too heavily on anonymous sources. Schwarzenegger denied some of the allegations, but admitted that he had, quote, 
behaved badly, end quote, at times during his acting career. You notice the double standard there, my friends. Number eight, Boston Globe. Fake photos of U.S. troops gang raping Iraqi women, May 2004. In the summer of 2004, with the re-election campaign for Republican incumbent George W. Bush, and it was on everyone's minds, especially a mainstream, lamestream media, desperate to depose him. So, in May of 2004, the Boston Globe, which was still owned by the New York Times, published photos that claimed to depict American servicemen gang-raping Iraqi women. World Net Daily quickly proved the photos were fake, and I give a link here to show exactly how they proved they were fake, my friends. And, well, you know, was anyone disciplined? No. Number nine, you'll remember this, CBS News anchor Dan Blather pushes forged anti-Bush documents September 2004. Now, this what, uh, if you don't remember, this is what happened. In September 2004, the presidential election between George W. Bush and Democrat John Kerry, who, by the way, served in Vietnam, was in full swing and tighter than tight. To break the tie, the top newsman at CBS News, the evening news anchor and 60 Minutes correspondent Dan Blather, dropped a bombshell on the race. He claimed to have obtained documents proving that as a young man during the Vietnam War, Bush had shirked his duty and received preferential treatment while serving in the Texas Air National Guard. The only problem is this. The documents were obvious forgeries. I mean, hello, 2004, uh, laser-printed documents that are meant to look like typewritten documents, uh, right? Rather, and CBS News had never bothered to properly authenticate their bombshell, and I give a link here showing how that was all happening. Number 10. Here we go, another uh, name that's been familiar, NBC News, Brian Williams, faked tales from Katrina, August 2005. In February of 2015, NBC Nightly News anchor Brian Williams admitted to lying about being shot down by enemy fired while riding in a helicopter over Iraq. And as the internet unraveled Williams' entire sorry career, it was discovered that many of his harrowing 2005 tales from Hurricane Katrina could not be verified. Many were disputed by eyewitnesses. These stories of floating dead bodies roving gangs of marauders and desperate suicides by the way, my friends, all three of those things, I've got links here, too, to show how phony they were, became an important part of the Katrina mythology used by the media to effectively end George W. Bush's capacity to govern. Number 11, L.A. Times buries B.O.'s Khalidi tapes, 2008. Breitbart News reported the Khalidi tapes 
shows Obama at a 2003 farewell party for radical Palestinian academic and activist Rashid Khalidi and reportedly features vitriolic anti-Israel rhetoric. Reporter Peter Walston, now with the Wall Street Journal, revealed the existence of the tape in an article on Obama's pro-Palestinian background. Obama's participation in the Khalidi event, Walston wrote, had led Palestinian Americans to believe that, quote, Obama is more receptive to their viewpoint than he is willing to say, end quote. The article was not aimed at vetting Obama's past. Rather, the tape was likely shared with the Times as a means of pressuring Obama by reminding him of his past commitment to the Palestinian causes as he courted pro-Israeli voters and donors. The L.A. Times still refuses to release the tape. Surprise, surprise. Number 12. Oh, this is a this is a juicy one here, my friends. NBC News anchors edit inconvenient black man out of Tea Party photo, August 2009. This is one of the most underreported things out there, my friends. What happened in an attempt to Prove that the Tea Party is a racist and violent organization. PMS anchor Contessa Brewer broadcast a photo of a Tea Partier legally carrying a holstered pistol. Quote, a man at a pro-health care reform rally wore a semi-automatic rifle on his shoulder and a pistol on his hip. There are questions about whether this is, has racial overtones. White people showing up with guns, end quote. Brewer breathlessly reported. Well, what PMSNBC did not tell the viewers is that the man in the photograph was black. And who was it that finally exposed all of that? None other than Andrew Breitbart. Yeah. And, oh, it took him a lot of work, but he eventually exposed it for the fraud it was. I give links to it, my friends, here. Number 13, Ezra Klein's journal list exposed. Haven't heard of journal list? Well, this is from July 2010. The Washington Post, Ezra Klein, created a journalist email club that, when exposed, finally confirmed what many of us already knew, that across numerous platforms and publications, journalists were coordinating attacks against their enemies list, most of them conservative or libertarian-minded Republicans, especially when done in service to B.O. And this frenzy of coordination appeared to hit its zenith during the 2008 presidential election. Journalists involved in journalists included including reporters and colonists from the Washington Post, Politico, Bloomberg, The New Yorker, The Economist, Time, Harper's, The Guardian, Newsweek, and others. 
Number 14. Yeah, I got enough time for a couple more. Number 14. The entire lamestream media on what? The Sarah Palin blame for shooting Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, January 2011, after a horrified mass shooting in Arizona that left many dead and Congresswoman Gabby Giffords horribly injured from a gunshot wound to the head. The entire lamestream media coordinated, go back to the other thing about journalists, okay, coordinated an attack to blame a mother of five who is thousands of miles away in Alaska at the time of the shooting. Sarah Palin had as much to do with the shootings as the man on the moon, but nevertheless, in a furious hate campaign against Palin for two full weeks all of the media blamed her and their only evidence remember it was that mailer Palin's campaign team created that placed targets over a map of vulnerable incumbents including Giffords district this is a standard graphic still used by both Democrats and Republicans and we learned later the shooter was a madman who had never seen the map. Oh, I remember when that came out in trial. Oh, the lamestream media was really upset about that little revelation after they had spent all that time to pillory Sarah Palin. Number 15, I think this is the last one we got time for before we take our break. Number 15, CNN anchor blames Sarah Palin for Gifford's shooting January 2011. Immediately after the horrific shooting in Arizona, CNN anchor Piers Morgan falsely blames Sarah Palin over the standard use of graphics on a campaign map. To the end of his CNN career, Morgan would use the CNN airways to slander Palin over this. Yeah. Okay, we're at number 15 of 48 instances of the lamestream media and what they have done to us, my friends. And you wonder why you're listening to this show? This is why. Because we don't do things like that here, my friends. When mistakes are made on shows like this and others, we own up to them. It may not be immediately, but we own up to them. Why? Because we want you to understand what's really going on out there. And as you can see by these stories, the lamestream media doesn't want you to know what they are up to. So, when we come back from the break, we'll pick up on number 16 and move our way down the list ugly hit list here. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Warning. If you're here to feel good about government... If you believe that people in office actually care about your well-being, if you believe that statutes and codes are God's gift to man, this show is not for you. If you believe NBC, CNN, Faux News, and the like actually report real news, this show is not for you. This is the proper place where those beliefs need disposal of. So if you decide to stick around, this show will not be responsible for your mental instability. If you're brave enough to call in, this is your warning. You best bring facts to the discussion. 
Welcome back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all-around pain in the rear and the bureaucrats and petty thugs everywhere. It is still Monday, June 8th, 2015. It is the 4 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. It's over 100 degrees outside uh, where I'm at right now, but only about 85 inside. I closed up the windows a long time ago. I got a fan going and a spray bottle to wet my hair and shirt down, etc. And I just got it soaking wet and it feels real good for taking away the heat. And speaking of heat, my friends, I for those of you just joining us, I'm going over a 48-point scandal sheet. What's the scandal? The scandal is on the lamestream media and what they have done and continue to do to us and why they are a dead letter issue. So we'll pick it right up with number 16, the Washington Post. Tea Party falsely blamed for Gabby Gifford shooting. Specifically, Sandra Sulmancar blaming the Tea Party for the Gaffy. Gabby Gifford shooting. Number 17, Atlantic, same thing, but this is Andrew Sullivan blaming her. Uh, 18, New York Times, all Republicans falsely blame for Gabby Gifford shooting. Uh, The New York Times, Paul Krugman blaming all Republicans for that shooting. Number 19, NBC News, PMS NBC's Ed Schultz calls Laura Ingram a, oh, you might want to cover little kids' ears here. This is the word he used. He called her a slut, May 2011. During his primetime PMS NBC show, anchor Ed Schultz called conservative Laura radio star Laura Ingram. Well, I've already told you what he called her. I won't repeat it. And Schultz, well, he was suspended for a short time. He still remains as a primetime anchor. Number 20. NBC News, PMS NBC's Ed Schultz smears Rick Perry as racist with deceptive edit, August 2011. To make Republican Texas Governor Rick Perry look like a racist, PMS NBC's Ed Schultz maliciously edited a videotape to make it look as though Perry had referred to President B.O. as a big black cloud. Perry did no such thing. Number 21, Washington Post, Rubio hit piece, secretly scrubbed of serial inaccuracies, October 2011. In that October 2011, the Washington Post published a nasty hit piece against newly minted Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio. And after the Miami Herald thoroughly dismantled the Post's False reporting. Rather than issue a correction, the Post secretly edited the hit piece as though it had always been correct. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to this, my friends. This is number 21 when we get to number 26, okay? So remember this, Washington Post, October 2011, scrubbing things and making it look like, oh, this is what we said all the time. When we get to number 26, you'll understand. Number 22, 
the entire mainstream media, lamestream media, excuse me. Tea Party falsely accused of hurling N-word during Obamacare protest March 2010. Two black Democrat congressmen lied to the media about being called the supposed N-word. What I would say is that they were being, might have been called Neanderthals, but they weren't even called that. Uh, as they passed through and they were taunting a group of Tea Partiers gathered at the Capitol to protest Obamacare. It was Andrew Breitbart's tireless genius that would eventually prove this a lie. How did he do it? He kept offering a reward and upping the ward. He says, come on, there's hundreds of cameras covering this, cell phone cameras, etc. Who has the evidence? I'll give you a thousand. I'll give you five thousand. I'll give you ten thousand. I'll give you a million dollars. I don't remember if it was a million, but he, he kept upping the ante to anyone who could provide proof no one could provide proof all that could be provided was video evidence that showed that it didn't happen number 23 cnn evidence fabricated against george zimmerman march 2012 with bo's re-election campaign on the lie line uh, I was, uh, <clears throat> a little Freudian slip there, uh, a ginned up racial controversy in the crucial swing state of Florida could only help the resident. Well, to aid and abet this fraud, almost all the major news outlets coordinated a Herculean but failed effort to frame George Zimmerman, a Hispanic man who shot a black man in self-defense. CNN went so far as to fabricate a claim that during his 911 call, Zimmerman called Martin a coon. Zimmerman did not. Well, like many other outlets, CNN regularly identified the Hispanic Zimmerman as white. Number 24, NBC News, evidence fabricated against George Zimmerman, March 2012. NBC News went almost as far as CNN in fabricating evidence against George Zimmerman to make Zimmerman look racist. The network broadcast and edited 911 tape to make it sound as though Zimmerman volunteered to the operator that Trayvon Martin was black. Zimmerman did not. Number 25. ABC News, evidence fabricated against George Zimmerman in March 2012. To frame Zimmerman and smear local police, ABC News released a photo of Zimmerman's scalp just after his arrest. The photo showed no injuries, which perfectly fit the media's and Obama's desired narrative that claimed the police left let Zimmerman get away with assassinating a black kid. ABC News chose to release the photo before having it properly enhanced, once again, the injuries to Zimmerman's scalp were then revealed. 26. Washington Post. Mitt Romney falsely accused of being a homophobic bully, May 2012. Obviously time to drop at the same time. B.O. announced his support for same-sex marriage. The Washington Post published a story that accused Mitt Romney of being a homophobic bully some 50 years earlier while at high school. The story quickly came apart as witnesses, even some quoted by the Post, 
disputed the Post's reporting. To cover up its dishonest reporting, the Post secretly edited the article. Now, do you see why I told you to pay attention to number 21 when I told you about it? Because here they are doing the same thing. They didn't learn the first time. Number 27, NBC News, Andrea Mitchell fabricates a Romney gaffe in June 2012. And in the heat of that 2012 presidential race, NBC's Andrea Mitchell fabricated that gaffe using a deceptive video edit. And naturally, the gaffe was meant to further B.O.'s campaign attack on Romney as an out-of-touch plutocrat. Mitchell, of course, faced no disciplinary action. 28. The Politico. Reporter claims Mitt Romney's only comfortable around whites, June 2012. While appearing on PMSNBC's political reporter, Joseph Williams told the world that then-presidential candidate Mitt Romney was only comfortable around white people. It was libel. Williams had no reporting to back it up. 28. ABC News step on all of us. Brian Ross blamed Tea Partier for mass shooting in 2012, July 2012, just hours after that horrific mass shooting in an Aurora, Colorado movie theater. Good Morning America anchor George Stepan Olivas hosted reporter Brian Ross, who, based on nothing more than the fairly common name Jim Holmes, reported that the shooter might have been a member of the Tea Party. The report turned out to be false. Neither Stepan Olivas nor Ross faced any disciplinary action. Number 30, Yahoo News. Reporter claims Romney likes to see black people drown. August 2012. During that ABC News Yahoo News webcast, David Chalen, then a reporter for Yahoo News was caught on a hot mic, cackling with delight after he accused Mitt Romney and the GOP of being, quote, happy to have a party with black people drowning, end quote. Kalen was fired by Yahoo, but now he's a political director for CNN. 31, CNN, you'll remember this, Candy Crowley violates debate rules to lie for B.O. October 2012. During that close election, CNN's Candy Crowley made no secret of the fact that as moderator, she intended to violate the rules of the second presidential debate and violate them she did. Going into the debate, a recent terror attack on our consulate in Libya, you remember, Four dead, thank you very much, Hillary, that cost those American lives, and it was a very hot topic. President B.O. and his administration had repeatedly lied about an anti-Islam YouTube video motivating that deadly attack. The truth, however, we now know, was that the attack was organized and carried out by an al-Qaeda affiliates against a poorly defended American compound, Obama lied again during the debate with the claim that on the day after he had described the Benghazi attack as an act of terrorism. Just as Republican nominee Mitt Romney went in for the kill 
violating the rules, Crowley jumped in with the claim that the president's lie was true. I have a link here for the actual tape from that debate, and you can see it right there. Number 32, CNN, Fareed Zakira's serial plagiarism. This spanned from 2013 through 2014. Two anonymous plagiarism investigators at a site called Our Bad Media rustled up countless examples of plagiarism involving Fareed Zakira, Zakira, an elder statesman in among the media elite, who was Barack Obama's ear on foreign policy, which explains a lot, had previously been suspended for plagiarism and was now caught again in numerous instances, many of which included his weekend CNN foreign affairs show. Well, no disciplinary action was ever taken against Zakira. Number 33, NBC News gun rights activist falsely accused of heckling grieving father. January 2013, NBC News deceptively edited video of an alleged mourning father. Of course, later we learned that the father was an actor, but I digress. An alleged mourning father to make it look as though gun rights activists had heckled a man still mourning the death of his son. The truth is that Mr. Heslin, the actor, was not heckled. He had asked a question of the crowd and had remained, which, who had remained respectfully quiet for 15 minutes. And the crowd remained respectfully quiet. So he repeated the question. This time, someone answered, and the serial liars at NBC News were off to the races, making it sound like he was being heckled. Number 34, CNN memo reveals open push for more gun control, April 2013. And a foretelling of the Jeff Zucker era that would see CNN move to the left of PMSNBC, CNN released the memo to the rest of the media, reassuring them that the cable news network would devote a full day's programming to push for federal action on gun control. Number 35. CNN, Nancy Grace, taunts Hispanic George Zimmerman with Taco Bell attack, July 2013. To further a phony black versus white narrative, the media went to great lengths to cover up the fact that George Zimmerman is Hispanic. The media either ignored his race or falsely labeled him as white or desperately labeled him as a white Hispanic. Well, that didn't stop CNN's Nancy Grace from engaging in outright racism when she used her headline news show to taunt Zimmerman as a heartless killer, quote, driving through Taco Bell every night having churros as Trayvon Martin lies dead. No disciplinary action was taken against Grace. Number 36, CNN Jeff Zucker's 15-year-old son, well, he sits on top of Dem Boards of Directors, Ju August 2013. Democrat Senator, Se 
Cory Booker, Democrat, New Jersey, a rising star in the Democrat Party and owner of the Internet startup company. Well, until the news was made public, one of the individuals sitting on the board of his company, which included stock options, was none other than the 15-year-old son of CNN chief Jeffrey Zucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number 37. NBC News. Well, PMSNBC's Martin Bashir wants someone to, well, I'll just say crap, uh, but that's not what he said, in Sarah Palin's mouth, November 2013. Now, I remind you, my friends, this was a scripted portion of his PMSNBC show, and Martin Bashir suggested that someone should, well, I'm going to quote him. I'm sorry, I'm going to quote him. This is what he said. Should, quote, shit and piss, end quote, in Governor Sarah Palin's mouth. Yeah. Number 38. Oh, boy. I've known, I got 48, my friends. We've got 10 more to go. NBC News. David Gregory violates D.C. gun laws to demagogue gun control. December 2013. Meet the press. Host David Gregory eagerly joined the rest of the lamestream media to shamelessly demagogue the Sandy Hook Elementary false flag school shooting. All across the media, the goal was to further restrict the Second Amendment, of course, civil rights laws of law-abiding Americans, etc. And no matter that none of the laws proposed by the Democrats or the media would have stopped Sandy Hook since it never occurred, well... When he, and I say that, frankly, openly, my friends, because we can now go to the FBI Uniform Crime Report for Connecticut, page 8, and you scroll down to Newton, which was Sandy Hook Elementary um, uh, Warehouse was located at the time, and you'll see that zero homicides occurred for that year. So that's why I say it didn't happen. Well, when he sanctimoniously, David Gregory, brandished a high-capacity ammunition magazine on the air while interviewing NRA spokesman Wayne LaPierre, Gregory went so far as to violate gun laws in Washington, D.C., and because laws are for the little people, Gregory faced no action from local law enforcement or NBC News. Number 39, Washington Post, conservatives falsely accused of bullying Muslim woman. June 2014, Diana Milbank was exposed as a liar after the video of an event proved no one bullied a Muslim woman at a conservative event. Number 40, the entire mainstream media, lamestream media, premised on a media lie, riots burn out black neighborhood, August 2014. Media, as you recall, stormed into that small working class community of Ferguson, Missouri, all based on their reporting on what turned out to be a lie. Michael Brown was no black gentle giant shot in cold blood by a white police officer. Brown was an unrepented thug killed by a good cop protecting himself in self-defense, which is why I talked about it on this show, because it's like, oh, wow, look, we actually got one here, a good cop acting in self-defense. Wow. 
Well, before the truth was revealed by eyewitness testimony and forensics, the media's wake of destruction had victimized only a predominantly working-class black community. Number 41, CNN audio of Michael Brown's shooting aired without authentication August 2014, and just as Ferguson was finally beginning to cool down, in desperate need of the ratings that come with riots, CNN produced what it claimed was an audio tape of the Michael Brown shooting. Before it was authenticated, CNN serially aired and examined the incendiary audio that many of CNN's own experts believe is a hoax. CNN has never authenticated the audio recording or fully explained why one of the gunshots is missing from the audio. Hmm... Number 42, CNN Carol Costello asked viewers to enjoy a bit of Bristol Palin's assault, October 2014. In one of the sickest moments in media history, CNN anchor Carol Costello used her morning anchor slot to air disturbing audio tape of Bristol Palin reporting a physical assault at the hands of a man to the police. In her introduction to the audio, Costello said, quote, This is quite possibly the best minute and a half of audio we've ever come across. Well, come across in a long time anyway, end quote. And just before rolling the audio clip, Costello advised users to, quote, sit back and enjoy, end quote. She never apologized to Bristol Palin or her viewers, and CNN took no disciplinary action. Number 43, NBC News, Dr. Nancy Snyderman violates Ebola quarantine, October 2014. Dr. Nancy Snyderman, no less than the chief medical correspondent for NBC News, was caught violating an Ebola quarantine after returning from an Ebola-ravaged part of Africa. And for obvious reasons, Snyderman and her crew agreed to a two-week quarantine. But before that quarantine ended, she drove to a restaurant to get some soup and was photographed sitting in a car outside the restaurant. Snyderman eventually returned to her cushy NBC News gig, and she just recently resigned. Number 44, Rolling Stone, the gang rape hoax fabricated against University of Virginia fraternity November 2014. In pursuit of that story and political narrative instead of the truth, Rolling Stone published that phony story about that gang rape. No one was fired or disciplined. Number 45, NBC News, Brian Williams exposed again as a serial fabricator. For years, Brian Williams, no less than the face of NBC News and anchor, got away with telling so many admitted and suspected fabrications. The last count was 32, my friends. That's why this counts for a, a separate entry, even though we've talked about some of these others in the past. Number 46, CNN Brian Steltzer's fraudulent attempt to rescue Brian Williams, February 2015. CNN's left-wing media reporter Brian Steltzer attempted to save Brian Williams, a close friend of Steltzer's boss, Jeff Zucker, with the news that Williams had indeed been shot at in a helicopter over Iraq. Within a day, Steltzer was forced to retract and admit he had not 
properly vetted his source. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Number 47, NBC News. Four PMS NBC anchors didn't pay their taxes. April this year, to its credit, PMS NBC is openly left wing. That's about as far of credit as we'll give them. Well, this gives the ratings failure a lot of leeway when it comes to pushing a political agenda. A large part of that agenda obviously has to do with the increasing taxes, especially against the rich. What a thing it was to learn then that four of PMSNBC's elite wealthy stars do not pay their own taxes. This is worse than hypocrisy. It is duplicity. An elite world in which rules are for little people. And finally, last but not least, number 48. ABC News' George Stephanopoulos lies about Clinton Foundation investment, May 2015. Then as the chief anchor and chief political reporter at ABC News, caught lying about his involvement with the Clinton Crime Family Foundation while using his status at ABC News to defend and report on the Clinton Crime Family Foundation scandal. Stepan Olivas chose not to disclose his viewers his substantial 75 large investment to the foundation. And although Stepan Olivas lied to viewers and his employers, ABC News took no disciplinary action against the quote unquote former Clinton White House employee. Now, my friends, did you know? how the number of scandals increase as the new media becomes more and more powerful. Now imagine what these lying degenerates got away with when no one was watching or had the ability to re-report and fact-check. Yeah, that's why they don't like us very much, my friends. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Welcome back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler. It is still Monday, June 8th, 2015. It is the 4.30 time in this show, at least out here on the left coast. I apologize for that very long, but I wanted it to be as all-inclusive as I could make it, list of 48 scandal rap sheet on why we should distrust and despise the lamestream media. So I'm going to skip over the links of interest at this very moment. We have 21 of them. Go straight to the critical thinking segment, which is four quotes. Quote number one. 
Don't let anybody tell you that it's corporations and businesses that create jobs. Quote number two, we came out of the White House not only dead broke, but in debt. It was not easy. Quote number three, I think I'm probably the most transparent person in public life. And finally, quote number four, what difference does it make? There you go, my friends. That ought to be wrapped up with a voiceover. I'm Hillary Clinton, and I approved these messages. Because there would be an honest ad campaign. Okay. Um, I'm going to jump straight into now, my friends, the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare. That's L-A-W, for learn and win through a better education. And when I'm done, if we have time, I'll get through as many of the links of interest as possible. So, to start out with, I'm going to ask you a question. Rule of law or feelings? Choose. Because, as Tim Donner posts here and says, you can never tell what nuggets you might struggle upon when Googling, especially with the unintentional aid of autocomplete. In the midst of a mostly unrelated search last week, he writes that he stumbled upon an image that at first seemed amusing, then intriguing, and then got him to thinking through the profound truth about the left that it contained in its seven words. Are you ready? Here are the seven words that are posted on the meme of a whiny, crying face, libtard woman that says, Your rights end where my feelings begin. Wow. Your exercise of free speech on campus supporting the pro-life movement offends me. Your opposition to gay marriage makes me feel you are homophobic. Your refusal to support Obamacare makes me feel you are insensitive to the poor. Or this one, your legally purchased firearm makes me feel nervous. Well, Leave it to the neighborhood barber with a font of common sense to put the whole idea in perspective when discussing this and his retort. Well, my being unarmed around you makes me feel nervous, end quote. If the right was as consumed by feelings as the ideological bankrupt left, they could easily counter and often have with their own well-developed set of feelings. For example, your pro-abortion stance makes me feel like you hate babies. Your pro-Obamacare position makes me feel like you don't respect my right to control my own health care. Your support of higher taxes makes me feel like you are stealing my money. 
the obvious commonality to those sentiments, the word feel and its many iterations is what seems to be driving policy these days. Damn history. Damn the facts. Let's go with our feelings. Feelings are obviously a part of the human experience. We all have to process every moment of every day. But it is when we assume the stance of feelings, uber alles, to those, and when those feelings are deemed to be actionable, that we delve deeply, deeply, my friends, into the danger zone. Whether or not you agree with the biblical assertion that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, we can nevertheless stipulate that the founders had a keen enough understanding of human nature and the need to account for it that they wrote a supreme law of the land designed for the exact purpose of nullifying emotion to the greatest extent possible as a principle of good governance. Why? Well, you know, if men were angels, as the old expression goes, well, certainly whipping up the impression uh, of, you know, impressionable emotions of voters, well, that's been a part and parcel of American political history. And the Republican Party in general, and conservatives in particular, though hardly immune from the lure of emotional appeal, has constantly fought a losing battle on this front. You know, it's hard. It's hard to counter the emotional appeal of hope and change with smaller government and less goodies. Promoting less is inevitably trumped by promising more. The powerful allure of appealing to feelings is ridiculously easy, especially when fueled by a compliant media. They, as I reported with through those 48 examples of fraud and deceit, they will report on any wacko story as, as if it is mainstream from groups they dislike, which leads to the inevitable denigration of the group itself. These are fairly easy to spot once the formula is known. And, of course, now by me giving you 48 prime examples, you should know what the formula is. You know, the headlines generally read as Republican legislature, followed by the silliness said or proposed by some obscure town councilman. But when Democrats offer the same inanity. The story will report the same, but party affiliation will either be unmentioned in the headline, buried deep in the story, or absent altogether. Since so many people just read headlines, 
Well, you can imagine the results. No more clear a case can be made than with Israel. There is scant debate about just war theory, genuine discussions about occupation, or UN Security Resolution 181. No. From the top down, the discussion is all about ending violence through the lens of Israel as the sole, or at least primary, brutal actor. All the media need to do is draw the inevitable moral equivalence between the Democrats of Israel and the savages of Hamas, and the battle's won. The path cleared for transmitting constant images of dead Arab children. Little attention is paid to the stark truth in Benjamin Netanyahu's observation that Israel uses missiles to protect its citizens, while Hamas uses its citizens to protect its missiles. So, why do progressives reflexively grant Hamas equal status as bargainers for peace as they do Israel, while constitutionalists do not? Well, Alan Johnson, British Labour Party politician and former Home Secretary, certainly gets it. In his complaint about BBC reporter Jon Snow tweeting photos of dead Syrian children and making them out to be dead Gazans, Johnson said, quote, The underlying problem is that Snow, like many Western liberals, tends to treat pathological movements with no negotiable grievance as if they are rational political movements with grievances that can be negotiated. End quote. Very well stated. How can leftists so out of their mind with political sensitivity that it seriously debates trigger warnings for essays and talks that may merely mention violence. Well, how can they be comfortable with the toxic anti-Semitism at pro-Palestine rallies? Hmm? All of this in service of a ruling group who compel the, quote, wearing of the hibab alongside other measures, including insisting women, well, stay at home and be segregated from men and the production, promotion of polygamy? Hmm? Hmm? Really sounds really liberal, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems that, that the mere fact that Hamas is... N- not only not Christian, but actively committed to the destruction of both Christianity and Judaism is more than enough for the left to carry their water. But, but, it also perfectly demonstrates how irrational and perverted our feelings can become. Think about it. The left supporting people who, to put it kindly, are defined by their regulation of women to second-class status, 
murderous anti-Semitism, and absolute intolerance of homosexuals, among other prehistoric notions. You know, you can't make this stuff up. Really, seriously, you cannot make this stuff up. Now, we're not talking about a collection of misfits from the Internet fringe, but mainstream thinkers, and of course, of course, the celebrities. You know, the useful idiots who would see Hamas triumph over the ruins of Israel. One does wish, for just a moment, that Gloria Steinem would be forced to live in Gaza for a week and see what she thinks after that. But she doesn't think about it. No. She feels about it. Feels that Israel should stop. This faux debate about impeaching President Bio is another instant classic. Though the GOP has no intention of pursuing impeachment, we've seen that, my friends, over and over again. Well, the left believes that they, that by pretending that they do, they can whip up antipathy to the Republicans. Not to mention gobs and gobs of money from uh, the gullible and low-information voters. And remember, my friends, we used to call gullible, low-information voters. There was a word that we used to use before feelings came into play. Yeah, they were morons. But I digress. So... They whip up, you know, all this antipathy and gobs of money from these low-information voters who are vulnerable to the scripted argument that Republicans are so mean and racist that they want to take down our first black president. <gasps> oh. Yeah, I just keep wanting to hear Morris Albert. Feelings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'll get the barf bag out. And just how? Just how about our southern border? Mm -hmm. Where it has been way too easy for the left and media to advance an immigration argument based on feelings as we are bombarded by images of suffering Central American children. You know, that can hardly compete with the argument about the rule of law and border security among the many Americans who are not paying attention. Yep, the left's lies about impeachment, emotion-inducing reports from the border, and grant of de facto moral equivalence to a despicable band of Islamo-fascists in their siege of Israel and the rest of the world are but the latest iterations of governance by feelings. And the problem is not so much that leftists in need of changing the subject from their unbroken string of failures constantly try this, but that they succeed 
more often than they fail. There's something for you to think about, my friends. Wow. I think he nailed it. What do you think, my friends? <laughs> That's what I think. I think he nailed it. Okay. We have a bit of time. So let me scroll up here. Okay, I'm scrolling to the top here. And let's see how many of these links of interest we can get through. 18 through 21. They're so related, I bound them together. Uh, first, media fail. No major hurricanes in nine years. Then related, if the facts don't support your fantasy, then change the facts. Gee, where have we seen this before? Oh, that's right. The IPCC did it. The Australians did it. Noah did it before. And looky here, they're doing it again. Noah fiddles with climate data to erase the 15, that's actually a misprint, it's 18.6 plus year global warming hiatus. Then supporting that, we got from Breitbart, Hide the hiatus, how the climate alarmists eliminated the inconvenient pause in global warming. And then finally, related and very fishy, my friends, an opinion piece out of the New York Times on the case for a carbon tax. Yeah, private businesses partnering with the government for carbon tax. Uh-huh. Very fishy. Number 17. Timeline that shows how Clintons took $1.8 million from Keystone Pipeline investors. Oh, really? <laughs> Very interesting story, my friends. Number 16. <clears throat> In a Full-throated defense of firearms rights, actor Vince Vaughn says banning guns to fight crime is like banning forks to fight hip obesity. Mm-hmm. Number 15, Obama's DOJ to circumvent Congress with more than a dozen New gun controls. you got to read about it, my friends. Number 14, you know, if we had more stories like this one, we would have less stories of Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin kind. It's a judge who comes up with a creative punishment for a teen who refused to pay for a 30-mile cab ride. It's heartwarming, my friends. Number 13, Dinesh D'Souza is finally a free man. Yes, he's been freed from his nightly confinement. And what's he say he's going to do? Nope, not go to Disneyland. Nope, he's going to do a new movie. Ha <laughs> ha, there we go. You go, Dinesh. Number 12, tuition's going up. Yep. Tuition's going up, but they got the dough to give to Hillary. Arizona State doubles tuition on students, but they somehow find $500,000 to give to the Clinton crime family syndicate. Yep. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's, it's amazing how they came up with that. Number 11. 
it looks like Facebook might start offering PGP, public keys, and letting you encrypt. Interesting if true. Yeah, they've announced this controversial move, which is certainly, if they do it, going to infuriate the police state. Number 10, Geraldo says that Vince Vaughn, you know, the guy who said a little earlier about, you know, uh, uh, banning forks to prevent obesity, right? That uh, Geraldo says that Vince Vaughn sounds like Timothy McVeigh defending gun rights. Really? You remember Geraldo, you know, that fake journalist, right? Mm-hmm, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Number nine. Undetected bombs and weapons underscore the uselessness of TSA airport gauntlet. You know, can we just get rid of the damned agency already? Yeah, I think we should. Number eight. Yeah, we still got enough time for a few more. The polls don't look so good. Lots of numbers in this, so it's a read-at-your-leisure type story on how Hillary's polls are in a Free fall. Number six and seven. First one, Congress growing some gonads. Republicans threaten State Department funding until Clinton and Benghazi docs are provided. House Republicans are using their most obvious weapon to hold states' feet to the fire, the power of the purse. Wow, got all excited reading that. Then I read the next one. Then again, maybe they're not. It turns out that Republicans in Washington are united on one issue. You know what the one issue they're united on? Their hatred of Rand Paul. Give you an example. John McCain says that Rand Paul, quote, is the worst possible candidate on the most important issue, end quote. Okay. Oh, well. Number five. This sounds good, but then think of where they are really getting their money from. Yeah, the Dems are so desperate for money that they make, get this, Debbie Blabbermouth Schultz a raffle prize. And the response to them making her a raffle prize is hilarious. And one of the responses is, oh, she's offered his raffle prize for number one to have one evening with her. Second prize is to spend two evenings with her, (laughs) among other things. Number four, a little hidden history. And notice how it had to be culled from web page archive sites. It's a story about how, as a college sophomore, Eric Holder participated in an armed takeover of former Columbia University ROTC office. Yeah. Number three, white privilege? Oh, really? Baltimore professor says white people need to personally give all their money to black people. Number two, yep, this sounds like a good idea. Dumbing down teachers. Yeah, sign me up. Judge throws out New York teachers' entrance exam due to racism because too many minorities flunked. And number one, according to the New York Times, if a Republican spouse has some traffic tickets, it's a big story. If Hillary's spouse is flying to a foreign island where a bunch of teenage sex slaves are being held captive, yeah, that's no big deal. Wow, I managed to get through them all. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm shocked. And I knew it. That just wraps up this edition of the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Networks. Until next week, my friends, unless the creek rises or they come take me away again, my fellow Americans, keep your powder dry. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Welcome once again to another edition of the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast. We are live tonight. Uh, It's June the 8th, 2015, about five minutes after the top of the hour. We are a show that's dedicated to tackling controversy, conspiracy directly related to Christianity. We do all this from a biblical perspective, but I'm not going to do that tonight. I am going to do something entirely different. Uh, Of course, this is all up to the producer, Frank. But uh, we are going to actually turn the show over to... The, um, to the services that are going on right now at the Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church in uh, Union City, Indiana. The services are in progress, and Pastor Keith Hoover has actually just started preaching. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Frank hook into the live stream, and you'll be able to hear the ELC Conference Live. Now, folks, we've talked about this for some time now. This is a rare treat. You get an opportunity to be a part of it. If you're not there and you're listening here, you actually get a chance. So uh, without further ado, folks, I'm going to get off the air and let you be able to hear the live services. God bless you, folks. We'll see you next week. Desire and what desire does. Desires in the heart before you're saved and this is what this is what we teach our children. Desires must be restrained. If you don't learn to restrain desire in the heart of an unsaved person, 
you're going to be in serious trouble. Right. And after we're saved, we still restrain desire. Right. The problem that Eli had was he had sons that he didn't restrain. Right. He let right. them have whatever they desired. Can I tell you today that people flippantly go after whatever they desire? Right. And they need to restrain that desire and make it subject to the law of God. Amen. They need to restrain that desire. Even if it's a godly desire, they need to pause and pray and ask God's direction, seek wisdom before pursuing it. Not every good thing is a godly thing. Right. I thought about that. And the desires of this world will lead them to a point where their entire life is irreconcilable. You see, Romans chapter 1 and the digression of the human mind as it is influenced by sin. The heart is always corrupted. But the human mind is eventually, if, if desires are continually sought after and never restrained, it'll get to a point where the conscience is seared so badly that it cannot even recognize uh, logical thought, much less biblical thought. It'll never, it can't get through. You need your mind to be saved. God deals with the heart, but you've got to hear the Word of God. You've got to respond to it. And people's mind today is so corrupted that they're at a point where they're irreconcilable. Nothing that they do satisfies them. Nothing that they do completes them. And we talked about the fact that Bruce Jenner will regret his decision very soon. He'll never tell you that. He'll try to sell it like it's good. That's right. But every sinner experiences the regret of sin. The only thing they can do is get more sin right. to deny that regret. Right. Because their conscience smites them until they've seared it so badly they can't hear it any longer. Right. God does that in a man's heart. You can't tell me people don't know what's wrong. Right. We do. Yeah. But this reconciliation in the Bible is of such importance. There are two doctrines, I believe, called reconciliation in the Scripture. One is eternal, and the other is temporal. The temporal doctrine of reconciliation, I believe, is also called the doctrine of restoration. The temporal doctrine uh, is the subject of the book of 2 Corinthians as a whole. The whole book is dedicated to the, to the doctrine of restoration. And why I say it's temporal, we'll get to in a minute. But the eternal ministry of reconciliation is initiated and completed by the word of reconciliation. And the word of reconciliation, I believe, is this book right here. Amen. This is the word. God has committed to us now the word of reconciliation. We have a perfect law of liberty. We can continue in it. We have the perfect law of God. We have the perfect grace of God. We've got a perfect book of God. Amen. And that's why I'll die over this book because without it, there is no reconciliation. Right. Amen. You can say, well, I've heard people that have been reconciled without this King James Bible. Well, yes, I believe that. But I'll tell you what, they're watering it down more and more, and pretty soon you won't be able to do anything out of it. Right. Can you get saved out of a book that's not a King James? Yes, you won't grow very far. That's right. You won't grow very far at all. That's right. Our Bible study introduced the Bible study the first week by asking if anyone knew the definition of the word doctrine. And all of them had been there for many years, and no one knew the definition. No one. You see, there's no doctrine in those books. Right. They're so confusing and overlapping that no one can understand them. I, I think I'm a halfway intelligent person, and I can't make heads or tails of that thing. 
The doctrines overlap. The intricacies of the Word of God, each verse that we look at builds upon another. And they're so amazing and intricately connected. Amen. And right. these new versions shred that. And there's nothing left but a bunch of proverbial sayings. Right. Come on. And they don't even rhyme. They say a second grader can, under can understand stuff better if it's not old King James English. Second graders understand slobber, but it doesn't help them. Right. <laughs> you see, in order to be helped by something, we have to be affected by it. And this book is the word of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 11. God deals with the eternal ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says this, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, and the flesh made by hands, that in... At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There are no good people in this world. Right. There are no people that are going to make it. Right. There's nothing out there but people with absolutely no hope alienated from the promise of God Amen. until the time of reconciliation happens. Right. But now in Christ Jesus... <laughs> Ye, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now this is speaking directly of Gentile people, because they were far off from the covenants of promise. For he is our peace, who has made both one, the Jew and the Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself a twain, one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them that were nigh. Those that were nigh to the covenant not, not, weren't necessarily part of the covenant, but they were nigh because they were next to it. The Jewish people grew up watching the covenants played before their eyes. Right. They watched the temple and the daily sacrifice. They watched all of the festivities that pointed to Christ. They were nigh to Him. Not necessarily of Him, right. but nigh to Him. And those that were far off were the Gentiles who were completely alien from it and had no access into Israel. Oh, Rahab's quite an interesting person. She got in. I believe we'll meet Rahab one day. Right. She exercised faith. By the way, when, in what dispensation was salvation not of grace by faith? None. Because it's been by grace through faith from the beginning of time. The oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, the oldest written book, has the clearest presentation of salvation in Job 33 than any of the Bible. I'd rather use Job 33 than the Romans wrote some days. It's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he reconciles us to God. Nothing else can do that. Nothing else will fulfill the need of mankind. We talked about in church on Sunday how that man thinks he needs all these things until the Holy Spirit smites him and he realizes the only thing he needs is redemption. Amen. That's the only need of the human body. That's the only need of the human heart is to be redeemed and bought back because after we're full of sin and we've exercised all that we can, God brings us to a point where we say, I've done all these things, as Job 33 said, and it profited me not. Amen. And then there's one need. And that's the need for reconciliation. Amen. 
How many people have taken this road of sin that is popularized and glamorized and put out through all the media and they get to the end of the road and they say, I wish there was something here. Everybody said there was something here and there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's something at the end of my road. Right? Amen. Because I've been redeemed. I've been bought back Amen. from that. Why do I love churches? Because the purity of the church of God speaks to the world of the reconciliation power of our God. It tells the world that it is possible. Right. You see all these churches today, like the one across the street from me, will tell people, you don't need to change, you come as you are. You see in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. Come, drink of the water of life freely. Come, come, come. Why come? Because you're dead in trespasses and sins. You've got to come because where you are is headed for hell. You're vile. You're filthy. You're dead before God. Come away. Come away. The church today says stay. You're okay. Stay right there. You're fine. You come as you are. You're a wonderful person. You just need to be told how wonderful you are. God doesn't tell us how wonderful we are. He tells us how vile we are. And the ministry of reconciliation cannot be reconciliation unless a divide has been seen. Reconciliation means that there's a problem that must be solved. An equation that must be finished. A divide that must be conquered. And Jesus Christ in his eternal ministry of reconciliation can fix me. Amen. I'm so glad he can. I'm sorry I'm squeaking. I got a cold. I, I, I was squeaking last Sunday too. I don't do it for dramatic effect. <laughs> Happens. Uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 tells us this ministry of, of reconciliation, I mentioned it already, so that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How is he practically affected? By the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the word of God. Amen. You see, reconciliation is accomplished. Eternal reconciliation is accomplished through the grace of God, through the obedience to his command. Never forget that salvation comes through obedience. You say, well, that sounds like work salvation. Well, I'll explain. You see, salvation comes through obedience. It's based on the principle that Jesus Christ has the right to demand anything of man for salvation. He's Lord of all, is he not? Amen. Salvation is his plan. It's not my plan. I could have never come up with a plan that good. It's not my plan. Grace was not my plan. He had the whole plan. He came up with it himself. If he had decided to bring salvation through the Catholic Mass, then, brother, we better take it. Right. In obedience to Christ, if he had said it comes through the Mass, we'd better find a place and eat it. But he didn't say that. Right. Right. What did he say? Well, here's the grace. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. It's by grace through obedience to his command. 1 Timothy 1, 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord that hath enabled me for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. That's why Jesus came. And if he hadn't come, you could repent and believe all you wanted, you'd still go to hell. Right. Right. 
Because if it wasn't for him paying the finished price on Calvary's cross, there would be no road to salvation. Right. Mm -hmm. Obedience to the command of God, though, is required. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 gives us the first declaration from the voice of God in his ministry after baptism. And he says this. Hmm. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Mm. Jesus said, repent ye and believe the gospel. So in obedience to his command, we must repent and believe the gospel. Amen. By the grace of God through faith, through obedience to his command. The reason for the eternal ministry of the reconciliation of God is that God loved man. Right. And that is a fact that we cannot ourselves reconcile. Right. I've never heard a preacher that was able to reconcile why God loved man. If you think you can, I'd love to hear your theory. Because it's no good. There is no earthly human reason for God to love me. But he loves us. Yes, he does. I rest in the fact I have no reconciliation for that. But I'll take it. Oh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely will a righteous man, for a righteous man will one die, yet for a venture for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, at this point in the passage, we must interject everything that God says about sinners. Right. We look through the book and we see what he says about sinners. Does he have anything good to say about sinners? He compares them to dead men. He compares them to vile men. They're eternally separated from God. He says, in our mouths is the poison of asps. How does that sound? This is the people he died for. Right. You say, well, no, I was never that bad. Then I'm not sure you say Amen. But see, Christ reconciled us at that point when we were that. And but for his grace, we'd still be that. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved in this life. And I tell you that in this life, the salvation of God has a practical and visible effect upon the believer. Amen. You see, this is the twofold part that we talked about. Reconciliation deals with our eternal soul, our destination. It deals with God saving man. But restoration deals with man and his relationship to other people. Specifically in the body of Christ. If your people say, Well, I'm saved that way, and that means everybody should forgive me. You can trust me now. I'll tell you this, when God does save a person. He works a miracle in their life. Yes, sir. He kills that old man. He gives a new man. He, oh, man, he does some wonderful things. But then we read Romans chapter 8, and we're told that there's some responsibility given to us after salvation that we better fulfill. Right. We better walk as if we're live men. Amen. We don't go back to the weak and beggarly elements that we were found in when Christ saved us. We stay out of that. Amen. Now we're new. We're to walk in newness of life. Amen. We're to put on Christ. As he saved us, we put him on the outside and show the world what God has done. Amen. You see someone come in and accept Christ and they want you to give them money in the next minute? Sorry. Right. 
Something hasn't changed. Right. Mm -hmm. Terry, you're saying they're not saved. I have no ability to know whether or not a person is saved. I have only the ability to hear their confession. That's all I can see. But then after that, I can see fruit. Right. Mm -hmm. The temporal ministry of restoration is initiated by the way. Oh, by the way, the eternal work of restoration is initiated and completed by the word of reconciliation. The temporal ministry of restoration is initiated and completed by the word of reconciliation. Turn to James chapter 1, if you would. Verse number 22. James chapter 1 and verse 22. This means that the Bible is what restores you as well as what reconciles you. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Right. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Thank the Lord for that, by the way. John looked in the mirror recently, have you, man? You be thank the Lord that you forget it, too. That was supposed to be funny. Did anybody catch that or not? Yeah, okay. Thank you. For he holdeth himself in a glass, and goeth his way, and straightforward forget, way forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Can I tell you that looking into the word of God, and doing its commands, is the key to blessing in your life. Amen. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Right. The key to blessing. If any man among you seem to be religious, there's a lot that seem to be religious. Oh, yeah. And bridle is not his tongue. What does that mean? He doesn't shut up. That's what it means. But deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The servant of God will be seen by his actions as much as his speech. Right. You'll be able to see the practical effect in his life because of the perfect law of liberty. I can tell you today that if you've been saved very long, you can tell the difference in your own life when you've been in the Bible and when you haven't been. Right. Mm -hmm. You stay out of the Word of God, you'll have trouble. Mm -hmm. You stay in the Word of God, God will continue to bless you and you'll grow. If you've been saved very long, you can see this in others. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to tell when people that you know have been in the Word of God and when they have not been. But remember, they can tell it about you too. That's right. You see, when a person looks into that law of liberty and continues, that ministry of God works in them, the word of reconciliation. The ministry of restoration, by the way, is accomplished many times, this specific ministry, through the church of God. Right. See, the ministry of restoration deals with something that's important. It's after a person has been saved, they've been baptized and added to the church, they're a member of the church body. But you see, 1 Corinthians was the story of the violation of the law of God by the Corinthian church. They're not acting in faith. In fact, they're bickering amongst themselves, got all kinds of sin in the church. And we've dealt with this before, and I'm sure you pastors have dealt with it many times. You want to know what's the problem with the church? Look at 1 Corinthians. They're all there. Right. But now, 2 Corinthians is written to this church to teach them how to restore, how to make right someone who is truly repentant for their deed. The ministry of restoration is accomplished through the church. But can I tell you something? This is a harsh part, very hard part of this ministry. 
The ministry of reconciliation begins with the ministry of rejection. That's right. 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 9. I wrote of you in an epistle not to company. Can we stop there for a minute? What does it mean not to company? Go ahead. It means separate. What else? Anything else? That's pretty much it. If I have company over, what do I do? Fellowship. I fellowship with them. You know, Jesus ate with publicans and sinners, but he wouldn't eat with a rebel church member. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. This deals with immorality. Yet altogether, not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must she needs go out of the world. She's not speaking of them in the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company of a man that is called a brother. Right. Now we're dealing with brother. He's distinguishing between the world. You cannot avoid the company of fornicators and live in this world. Right. Mm. It is absolutely impossible. And Jesus ate with publicans and sinners to present them with their sin and give them the gospel. Right. But when the fornicator is in the church, then there's a problem. Right. Mm. But now I've written unto you not to keep company of any man that's called a brother, be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer. It's an angry man that rails on people, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You see, that ministry of restoration begins from with rejection. You ever been rejected? That doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel good. This ministry of rejection does not mean, by the way, that you stop praying for the person, stop loving the person, stop going to God for the person. doesn't mean that you avoid them in the aisle, the Walmart. What it means is they're put away from the fellowship of believers. Right. Then it goes on. I'm so glad I didn't stop there, by the way. Amen. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Right. It goes on to restore someone and bring them back into fellowship. Amen. Bear you one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. How do you bear that burden? You're suffering with them, buddy. That person who's in sin, you've got to bear it with him. You grieve with them. You cry with them. You seek them, just as Christ sought. Right. The sheep that was lost. Amen. But if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. Be careful. Right. Don't you think you're something in this situation? Right. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Watch your own steps. Right. Yeah. And I better watch mine. Amen. Right. But now we get to the reason for the ministry of restoration. The reason for the ministry of reconciliation is because God loved us. Right. The ministry for the minis- the reason for the ministry of restoration is that we love each other. Mm-hmm. That's the reason for it. Is it? It goes on, after verse number 5, For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. 
For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For a Christian believer to watch a brother slide into sin, watch him rejecting the Word of God, watch him taking steps in his life of offense to them and offense to God, and say nothing is to hate that brother. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. You hate it. Don't tell me you love it. You hate it. Because the Bible says that everything he's sowing, he's going to reap. And you don't care. The Bible says in Proverbs that he that spareth the rod hateth his son. But he that, it chases, he that loveth and chasteneth him betimes. Can I tell you that in the church of God, if we're not really willing to practice the ministry of restoration, we hate our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't stand them. We don't care about them. All we care about is our personal comfort level. Right. But if we love them, we want to restore them. Amen. Rejection is not meant to kick people out because you don't yeah. like them. Yeah. Come on. Right. Never has been. Mm. When I did wrong when I was a kid, my dad would take me inside. Fellowship was broken. And so were some other things. Across my backside. <laughs> but when we were done, restoration was complete. Because that didn't just give you a couple little patty whacks. I don't know what they call those things today. They call it spanking. You ever see people do that? Don't you that. <laughs> they go, ooh, she's scared now. <laughs> I say she. I got five dollars. You know, I'm used to she. I mean, when I got spanked, I felt it. Amen. Amazing thing when you feel it. it. It does something completely different to your psychology when you feel pain. <laughs> you see, you have to feel pain to know you've got a problem. Right. And when you feel pain, it really motivates you toward repentance. Amen. You know something? Pain motivated me toward repentance. Be wise, parents, because you've got to treat children how the Lord treats us. God is our example. Right. Never leave a child stuck up in his own pride. Because hmm. remember, Job had two responses at the end of the book. His first response, he tells the Lord, okay, the Lord says, answer me, Job. He says, I'll say nothing, you're right. That's the paraphrasing, of course. I can't do anybody. Okay? But it's in there. Have you ever had a kid say, okay, Mom, Dad, you're right? What do you have there? Hmm. Complete and utter rebellion. Right. Mm -hmm. Cloaked in false humility and false submission. But God says, no, Job, you don't get to shut up. You get to answer me because I told you to. Now explain to me why you did what you did. And what does Job do at the end of the passage? He says, I have seen God, and I repent in dust and ashes. Amen. I heard him with the hearing of the ear, but now I've seen him, and I am wrong. I abhor myself. You see, in order for restoration to be complete, you've got to be taught to abhor your flesh. <laughs> your flesh has nothing good in it. When you got saved, your flesh didn't get better. Right. The Bible says that inside you is a war now. The Spirit of God is warring with the spirit of your flesh. Right. And you've got to beat it down through the Word of God, the ministry of the Word of Reconciliation. You do that because you've got two inside you. I'll tell you what, we've got an enemy today. The Bible says there's a reason we're going to actually rejoice when the devil's cast out. Yeah. I don't like it. There's a one in there. Amen. 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 Okay, you don't like it. Hey, we've made some progress tonight. <laughs> Nobody likes the devil. Amen. Amen. But the fact is, the ministry of reconciliation must be begun with that confrontation of sin. Mm. Right. 
No, I don't like to confront people. I can, that's the big thing to admit to. I don't like it. I'd rather sit back and avoid it. I would. I don't like to confront my kids. But I have to. Because God tells me to. Right. Because if I spare discipline, I hate them. So the reason for reconciliation is because we love the brethren. In other words, the church that says, come as you are, you don't need to change, we will never judge you, hate you! Come on. Right. right. They despise you, and they're willing to allow you to endure the chastening of God, and or either that or if you're unsafe, the destruction of God, right. rather than confront you with your need. Amen. Come on. That's the reason. Amen. But each of these has a proof. You see, restoration or reconciliation with God, there's a proof of that that comes out afterward. We don't look to these proofs to prove that we are saved, but in the lives of individuals, when they're reconciled to God, something will happen. You'll begin to see some changes. And they're beautiful to behold. I'm getting to why I love what I do and why I do what I do. If I can wrap it up in one thing, it's because I love watching the miraculous reconciling work of God. I love watching it, knowing that I have absolutely no ability to change the person in front of me. But giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ, watching their response, I am viewing, live and in person, the miraculous reconciliation of God. I'm watching God change. I've watched the visage of people as God changed them. I've watched this conviction set in in the heart. I've watched his tears begin to run because something's happening and they're realizing that the Spirit of God has got a hold of them like a vice. That's right, amen. And I love watching him crank the screw down. Because <laughs> I remember how it felt when he was done with me. Yeah, amen. amen. Salvation in the feeling of money is a blessing. Amen. Oh my goodness, the feeling that comes when you understand your state before God, what God has done for you, and you respond to His Holy Spirit's prompting, what a miraculous blessing of God. Amen. Proof, the eternal proof is the fruit of the Spirit. Right. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You'll see a man that was a brawler become gentle. You'll see a person that was bad become good. You'll see a person that didn't believe in everything exercise faith in God. You'll begin to watch as God makes them grow. You'll begin to see as God convicts them and they'll begin to change. What a miracle that is. Nothing else can do that. Right. Amen. Nothing changes people. Talk to our probation lady down here, adult probation officer. She's been in charge of probation for 20 years. In 20 years, over 1,000 people have come through. I said, what's your success rate? She says, one. You know what the success rate of Jesus Christ is? When a man becomes convicted of sin, turns to Jesus Christ, repents and believes, you know what his success rate is? And it's right around 100%. Amen. You see, God changes people miraculously. Right, that's right. I had a man walk in here a while back, and he lives quite a ways away, accepted Christ as his Savior, went on, joined another church over in Ohio, and came back through about two weeks ago. He walked up to me and he said, Pastor, I just want to tell you that I was a drunk when I got saved that day, and I've never touched it again. And people keep telling me in AA that I, I've got to do the steps and all the steps, and I keep telling them God took it away, and they don't get it. That's right. <laughs> That's the miraculous power of God. Amen. Amen. 
I watched it in him. He came in the store just to tell me that. He stood there and he shook my hand and said, I'm so happy to be saved. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. Proof of the temporal. This is when we're dealing person to person. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. The proof of whether a person has repented in the church after salvation of something that they have done, hurt other members in the body, this is what they do. When they realize their error, they respond like this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. Right. Salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this self-same thing, that ye, the church of Corinth, sorrowed after a godly sort. Here's what it'll do in the person who wants to get right with God. What carefulness it brought in you. I don't want to be anywhere near what I did. Amen. Amen. What carefulness around you. What clearing of yourselves. I don't want to just admit this little bit and say, I'm sorry. I want to go to the people who I'm offended. I'm offended. I want to make it right. Amen. This is what I did. I want to get it right. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. Indignation is hatred. You know what I begin to hate the older I get? It's my flesh. I hate what it is capable of. So I don't know what you're talking about, Brother Keith. You should. That's right. Your flesh is capable of anything you see. Any sin in this world, it's capable of. Right. You ought to hate it. Right. Amen. What fear? Fear of God. What vehement desire. Oh, man, I want to do right. You ever tell someone they've offended you and watch them in front of you and go, I am so sorry. Can you ever forgive me? You know, that's a whole lot different than somebody saying, well, hey, you're supposed to forgive me. That's a lot different. That's right. You see, the person who says, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me, has a vehement desire to be made right. Amen. Mm. right. Oh, man, what zeal, what revenge. I love that word revenge. In it. That, that's an awesome word. You know what it means? Revenge, revenge means to pay back. Mm means to pay it back. But it also means I want my life back, buddy. I want to be right. I want it back. I want that relationship back. I want it back. No cheap, I'm sorry. No apology, but trust never restored. Can I tell you this? In the world, in the world, there is no way to be completely restored. No way. You see, in the world, you harm somebody, you wrong somebody, you may kind of fix it up, but they'll never forget it. That's right. That's right. There's no true forgiveness in this world. There's no true reconciliation in this world. But in the church of God, there can be complete, pure reconciliation between people because of a pure reconciliation between us and God. That's right. Complete. Do you know how relieving that is? Could you imagine what it would be like to live without that? Never being able to make something right. People commit suicide, they get hooked on drugs, they get hooked on alcohol because they can't ever make it right, so they try to numb it down. Right. You can't get rid of it, so you've got to make it numb. Huh. Talk to you about Titus. That crazy <laughs> 212. What a guy. Titus had the roughest ministry of anybody I've ever seen. He studied his ministry one day. That poor guy, he got the dirty work every time, not to mention surgeries that were improper. Yeah. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, For when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and the door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from them into Macedonia. So he's looking for Titus here, and he's addressing the Corinthian church. 
He finds Titus in 2 Corinthians 7, 5. For when we were come to into Macedonia, this is the area of Philippi, the Macedonian area, so he's coming from Troas, which is down in Turkey a little bit. He's coming over the hump, uh, uh, over the hump and down into Greece. He's going to be at Corinth. He's heading that direction. So he goes to Macedonia. Our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. You know, God has a very practical way of comfort sometimes. Sometimes it's supernatural through the reading of God's Word. He can impress a verse upon your heart and really, really help you. But sometimes He uses a Christian. Right. He just sends them to you. And by the time they're gone, you're like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Titus must have been an encouraging brother in Christ. Right. You know, sometimes I'm not a texter, and I tease about it all the time. I, I don't text people. If you text me, if you get one back... I have one of those flip phones. i got to do the little T9 word. It's very, very difficult. But, <laughs> oh, terrible. But uh, I get these texts from two different guys. One is Aaron Miller, by the way. And he gives me these encouraging texts. They're encouraging. I get them on Sunday morning. Preach the word, brother, yada, 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 yada. And I thought, I would have never thought to do that. But boy, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you, brother. That's how Titus was. Titus was the type of man that was an encourager to Paul. Titus was a faithful man. We later find out that Paul sends off on his own. The ordained elders in a place that Paul was very concerned about. But as it goes on, he finds Titus there. Uh, and nevertheless, God comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. Second Corinthians 8, 6 says, Insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. I believe, personally, I believe that Titus carried both letters to the Corinthians. He begun a work in them, and then he finished that work in them. you imagine being a young preacher, and your pastor coming to you, I can just see Dad doing this, say, okay, uh, um, we got young, how old are you, Brother Jack? You're young. Praise the Lord. He's young. Now, uh, you get an older fellow that comes, I'm not going to say who's old, but one of the older guys comes to you. There you go. And he says, now, Brother Chad, here's the deal. I have got this church that is in wicked, immoral sin. And uh, not only are they in wicked, immoral sin, but they're stealing from each other. They hate each other. From each other. They hate each other. This is basically a pepper box waiting to blow. And I'm writing a letter of chastisement. and he goes, take it to him. <laughs> and stay there and see how they do. <laughs> You're going, okay. <laughs> Nobody wants to be Titus. Until Crete, Titus deserved Crete. Everything before that stunk. You look at his life. Titus goes there, he gives them this letter. Now he didn't just go there and give it to them, he stayed around. I wonder if he read it to them. It's addressed to the churches of the area, specifically to Corinth. Excuse <coughs> me. So it was read all over the place. Titus carried this letter. And he gets to carry this letter. Now this isn't a letter like he sent to Timothy. You know, be strong in the Lord, young man. Timothy, keep thyself pure. I love you in the Lord. Timothy, I pray for you every day. No, this is you stinking bunch of hypocrites. Here's what you did. You're filthy rotten. This is his message. He has one message, Brother Mott. You're a filthy rotten church. That's his message. And he goes and he begins it. And notice what God calls it in the verse we just read. That Titus, as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace. 
God calls that the grace of God. Titus is coming with a message about how wicked they are, and God said, that's my grace. Paul said, that's my grace. That's God's grace to you because God loves you, and he doesn't want to let your church go down the tube. Amen. And he loves you enough to come to you and say, this is what's wrong. Fix it. Amen. Amen. And then Paul, oh man, he gets word back from Titus. I want you to notice that Paul was torn up from the time he sent that first letter. His flesh was torn up. His guts were torn up. I don't know how few preachers do. When I go preach somewhere, I don't care if it's once or ten times, my guts are torn up till I leave. Till I finish that last message and I'm done, I'm a, I'm a basket case. That's why I'm preaching first this time. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Some of you thought. But the fact is, he was torn up. He loved these people. He wrote this and he said, Listen, I'm so glad I made you sorry, but I'm really sorry I made you sorry. He sounds so conflicted in 2 Corinthians. I mean, he sounds like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I made you sorry because you get right. I'm so sorry I made you sorry. I, I love you guys. And he's able to watch that Corinthian church turn around. And he says, Titus is telling me how much you love God. How much you're a vehement desire toward God. And how much you want to make these things right. I'm so happy for you. Because when I come back, you read the book. I'm paraphrasing now. I've been listening to this on audio a lot. Because when I come back, I want to come in and rejoice with you. Because listen, you're a blessing to my heart. I don't want to grieve what gives me blessing. I have no desire to smash down the fruit of God that gives me such a blessing that you've been saved. Not only did Titus, by the way, go with this terrible message, he had absolutely no authorities in the church where he went. So how's that? Here he's giving this message, go and tell them how rotten they are, and when you get there and tell them how rotten they are, you actually have no authority. The church has all the authority. You just got to stand back and see if they'll do it right. We find that in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1.24. Paul says, not that we have dominion over your faith, yep. but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Yep. You see, this was not Paul establishing a hierarchy where he became the bishop over other pastors. Right. He said, I have no authority here, but I'm giving you by the authority of God, the word of God that says you're filthy and rotten, you need to repent. Mm-hmm. Not only am I giving it to you, what if it's not in your church? What if you have a brother that's outside your church? you still got to go to him and you have absolutely no control over it. you still got to go and let God go to him. <laughs> Somebody offended you. Somebody hurt you. Somebody hurt me. If I don't go to him, I hate him. And I have no idea how it's going to work out. I can't control it. I can't do anything about it. But in the spirit of goodness, I better go. Or I hate him. It's risky. It's uncomfortable. It's easier to walk away. You see, it's not easy to be a restorer. Right. Galatians 6 1 says what I just talked about, but if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Why? Why? If there's no motivation in love, then the motivation can be because of the glory of it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. This is speaking of the ministration of death, which is the law of the Old Testament. By the way, that's the ministration of death. For seven-day Adventists, you're still operating in the ministration of death. That's a problem. Yeah. Amen. But in the ministration of death, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, 
written and engraven in stones was glorious. By the way, that's glorious. Why is it glorious? Because it condemned me. Right. I have gotten to the point in my Christian life that I'd far rather walk into a room and see somebody get lost mm -hmm. than anything else. Amen. Because I, I tell you, if I see them get lost, then I know there's an opportunity for them to get saved. Right. Amen. You walk in, have you been ever been saved? Yeah. When? Oh, a long time ago. Where did you go to church? Uh, that one up there, you know the brown one? That's the steeple. <laughs> What's your pastor's name? Ah, they just got a new one. <laughs> I'm good. Everybody in town is safe. I don't even know why we're here. Right. Church of God, we don't need to give the gospel the whole town safe. But isn't it great being like that? <laughs> Sat down and listened to a guy and said, Has God ever worked repentance in your heart? Talk to him. What's repentance? You're saved. Yeah, man, that's it. Repentance. What's repentance? So I read the passage to him about what effect repentance has in the heart. What repentance, joy, clearing of yourself. Have you ever felt that way? No. That's what God does in the life of a human being. That's what He does. I said, are you saved? He said, I'm lost. He did not get saved that day. And I consider that a great accomplishment. So what do you mean? you got to get him saved. No, I, I can't get him saved. That's right. What do you think I am? <laughs> All I can do is give him the word of God. Amen. I have great confidence that if that man <clears throat> continues thinking about it, Holy Spirit's already pointed out that he's saved. Right. See, I have confidence in God. I don't have to do the work of salvation. I don't have to do the work of conviction. I simply get the gospel and I stand back and watch. Why do I do what I do to see the miraculous work of God as he changes one being from this to this? Mm -hmm. He takes something dead and you think it's worthless, it's dead. Next time you see it, it's alive. Yes, and it's yes. working well. And it's bearing fruit. Yes. And there's things happening. And it wants this guy. He wants to reconcile with people. He wants to go and say, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. And I stand back and I think, God did that. Amen. That's right. Why do I do what I do? I love to see God do what he does. Amen. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does. Amen. And I like watching. Amen. It's the best show on earth. <laughs> Lastly. Oh, let's, let's, let's read it. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. It goes, ministration of death. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory. Can I tell you, condemnation is glorious to a Christian. To a believer, condemnation is glorious. The law is a schoolmaster to bring me to Christ. Right. The condemnation of it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Can I tell you also in the ministry of restoration that condemnation becomes glorious to the believer because as they see that condemnation of God and respond to it, they know that God loves them and he puts them in a place where people love them and he's not going to be allowed to just walk off and do what he wants because people care too much about it. And God cares too much about it. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, the condemnation, much more that which remaineth is glorious. The condemnation, by the way, is only glorious because of the reconciliation. Right. It is glorious because the condemnation killed me and the reconciliation gave me life. You see, in, in church discipline, I'm not going to go through Matthew 18, you know how it's supposed to be done. The fact of the matter is, condemnation might kill me, but it's the way back 
to life. It's a way back to my walk with God. I'm not talking about my eternal salvation. I'm talking about my temporal relationships. It's the way back with God. It's the way to make things right and do things right. And people can be completely restored. In the church of God, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, one of the brothers was kind enough to explain to me the time period. And it was about a year's time period. I, I couldn't find that. It was about a year's time period in which these people had earnestly done what God expected them to do because of the grace of God working in them. And they repented, and they trusted that God would restore them, and God did restore them through the church of God. They were brought back into fellowship. I would have loved to have been at Corinth, the day of restoration. Let's call it something, folks. Let's not just say, oh, okay, he's back in. It's the day of restoration. It's a big day. Amen. Amen. Someone comes to Christ, repent and believe. They come forward, they confess their faith and request baptism. You know what that is? That's a big day. Mm. It ought to be celebrated by the church of God. It ought to be something you stop everything for. Why? Because this is one whom God has made holy, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He's requesting believers' baptism. This is a big day. Likewise, when somebody repents and you see the evidence of it, after all that they've done, and they come and pour their heart out, and they be and they restored after that period. That is a big day. Mm. It gives hope, folks. Second Corinthians three verse eleven. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more than that which remaineth is glorious. <coughs> Seeing then that we have such a hope, we use great plainness of speech. Paul says, because I hope in the great and miraculous reconciling power of God, I use great speech in the gospel. And because I trust in the miraculous restoring power of God, I use plain speech and discipline. How does that work? Before salvation, when the gospel is preached, you don't say, hey, listen, you ought to come to church one day. Try it out. We're pretty cool. I think you'll like it. And then hope that the pastor says something that will direct their heart to salvation. Instead, you say, the Bible says you're dead in trespasses and sins. There's nothing you can do to please God. Then only through the Word of God being preached to you and you understanding that you're a sinner can you be saved from your eternal destination, which is hell. You're going there. You can't stop it. The only way you can do anything to change it is repent and believe the gospel because Jesus said to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, well, that one might make, might make them not be my friend. <laughs> it won't be your friend in hell. That's right. Mm. That's right. So why are you worried about continuing the relationship? Amen. And then the restoring power of Christ Jesus is, brother, you've offended me. Here's what you want. I'm not coming here to beat you down. I just, I just want you to know. Let me wait and see what they do. That person may break down crying. Seeing it happen. You know what just happened there? God just restored such a one. Right. Convicting power of God is all over him. Say, brother, I just wanted to forgive you. I I just came because I wanted to forgive you. In order to do that, I have to tell you where you've done wrong. And because you've done wrong, I'm approaching you. And if thou doest that, thou hast gained thy brother. Yeah. Amen. I honestly believe. Most restoration would stop at the beginning of Matthew 18 and nothing. That's right. That's right. That's right. 
We would just love people enough to go and say, this is what has happened. Let's go to God. Why do I do what I do? Because I like to watch God. Lord, thank you for your many blessings. Help us, Lord, as we continue this meeting. I pray that you be honored and pleased in all this time. Lord, you're good. Thank you for doing what you do. God, I was without strength. I was without ability. I was dead in trespasses and sins. Lord, you made me alive. You changed my heart. You changed my life. And Father, though I have not always followed you like I ought to, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that once you've created anything good in me sprung. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the evidence of that. Thank you that I can see you working in my life because, Father, it assures me, it gives me assurance what you're doing. Father, you're there. I know what I am. Help us, Father, to preach the ministry of reconciliation. Help us to preach the ministry of restoration. Help us, Father, to restore. Help us to take that word of reconciliation to a world that needs reconciled. Say, well, they might reject it. Well, they, they might reject it, but it's your word you tell us to go. Thank you for reconciling. Thank you for restoring. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU-band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. 
Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.